I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. First to Last podcast. It's a podcast where my friend Craig and I, we get together each week and we work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from their first film all the way through to their last. And Craig, guess what? What? It's season six. Boom! We got Woo! there. Yeah. I know. I know. Guess what? What? No more Ron Howard. Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a few months since we've recorded. Yeah. We've been doing a few little minis to drop here and exactly. there been, in the off you know, season. Mucking around here and there. But really, this is the longest break we've had between seasons. Yeah, it has been. It has been, eh? Um, so I'm glad to be back. It's good to be back. It feels good to be back. I know. And one thing I love about whenever we start a new season is just how excited I am. I'm sure you're the same. Yep. To start digging into the filmography of the director that we're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, man. I love, I, I love just doing this whole this before we even dig dig deep you know yeah. what i mean it's that overall picture yes going, oh yeah look at this overall picture then suddenly you just you can crack into it and you just realize that you're really wrong about most of it <laughs> so our first intro episodes are always the most wrong episodes i think and i look forward to being wrong again yep um well considering that uh if I think about what we thought Zemeckis was going to bring to the table, yep, we didn't. We had no idea how great he was going to be. Yep. You think about Ron Howard. Yeah. And I think I thought he was going to be greater than he ended up Same. being. Same. Same. Uh, Sam Raimi. I thought I was going to be terrified more than I ended up being. Yeah, he was, I was quite whimsical and. Uh, yeah, he was great. I was just a little bit disappointed at the end. Yeah. Fizzle at the end. Fizzle. Yep. Zack Snyder. I think Zack Snyder is probably the closest to living up to what my expectations were. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. But No, yeah, same. Snyder Snyder is, and that's what like, makes Snyder disappointing as well. Yeah, yeah, and we've got more Snyder coming in a few months' time. Mm. I'm excited. He is, a, he is a great director. He is. He is a great director. I just listened to our Watchmen episode to hear us absolutely gush over a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and it leaves at that. Joe Carnahan. <laughs> Again, he had a little fizzle at the end of his season. Yeah. Seems to be the trend. Yeah, exactly. A lot of fizzles at the end. Um, his, though, isn't about filmmaking quality necessarily. No. More about the business of film. Yeah, exactly. His is a weird one. His is, um, his is like uh, bad luck in Hollywood. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And probably a bit of a proof on... Just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. Yeah, exactly. And the way that could probably burn you. And he even mentioned in some of his interviews that we talked about that uh, he learnt that he had to play the game. Yeah, exactly. I think you've got to get your your knees dirty a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we just dropped in the off season, a new Ron Howard movie. We talked Hillbilly Elegy. Yes, loved it. Robert Zemeckis. He had The Witches drop. We quite enjoyed that still. It was better. It was. It was better. Um, we've got Sam Raimi's doing Sam Raimi. He'll drop a movie when he's ready. He yep. is locked in to do a new he's Doctor Strange. Now. Filming now. Oh, really? Is, where are they filming? Are they Australia? Uh, London. Oh, in London, are they? Yeah. Oh, interesting. No, no, um, 
Thor, Thor's God of Thunder is here. Oh man, have you seen? Love they got a Thunder. big cast here, and so is Shang Chi. Yes, that's, and well, that's finished. That's wrapped. I think they're looking to bring a whole heap more production to Australia. Awesome, yeah, because it's easier for COVID and everything. Yep. So, yeah. uh, really excited to see that. I did see a funny little on the weekend. We just celebrated. Well, we didn't celebrate Australia Day in our house. We're just sort of. I think we're on the change the date bandwagon. Oh, no, yeah? I'm not calling it a bandwagon. I'm just saying that I think when you see the facts, uh, I'm pro change date. Oh, um, I, I don't. I don't think it should be just called the discovery of Australia. No, because I don't believe it is. Because there was an actual culture already sitting here. Yes. But changing the date, I don't know. I'm still... I think, still well, <laughs> the the real turning point for me, and not to go <laughs> political straight off That's the bat, let's do. but for the context for people around the world, uh, there is a national public holiday on the 26th of January every yep. year called Australia Day. Um, and what that has actually become is it's quite a hot topic in Australia, which is our indigenous population view Australia Day as a horrible day. day. They call it Invasion Day. Um, As they should. There's a lot of points to that. And the date actually isn't the birth of Australia. It's not even the birth of a uh, federation of Australia that that grew. Um, It's actually the day of colonisation. Yeah. Australia, which is why it's viewed as an invasion day, because from there there was genocide, mass genocide against the Aboriginal people. Oh, exactly, they wiped out completely in Tasmania. Yeah, which is just appalling. It's just, it's just ridiculously horrible. It's so, just... so I think when I learnt some more facts, which again, Australia being the wonderful country it is, um, we don't have a rich culture because we're still quite young. Yeah. Uh, but what we don't do well is actually educate people, young people, on Australian history. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, uh, even though I was around at that time, I had no idea that the Australia Day holiday was only recognised from the mid-90s. Um, therefore, like, it's not something... And it's funny that even in the way you said that, that we are young, but we're not. Because the Aboriginal culture is one of the oldest. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? It's 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 it is a tricky thing, and it's yeah. a tricky thing over here. Um, I would, like I was saying, my preference towards it is is to keep the date, um, and to I guess rebrand it as a day for it. Like um, one of the we had a lot of speakers. You can go on YouTube with this, and one of the ladies said whether you want to see it as an invasion day, Australia day, or anything. He gets it's a day about Australians coming together. Yep. Um, I think particularly in this current time, Australia standing together and not being divided. But thank you, bro. Not ignoring what has happened. Yep. Um, because bad shit did happen. Yeah. I think it would be very handy. I think where Australia really failed, um, New Zealand has a beautiful way that they approached their indigenous people. And the way that they've embraced the culture and they've really brought it in, and even though there were um, there were not nice things that happened to their indigenous oh, yeah, population exactly. as well, uh, I think they really worked hard to reconcile with people and and embrace the culture. I think unfortunately Australia has probably had a bit more. Uh, they've been a bit more opposed to it in our. Oh, I don't know. Um, in our Anglo-Saxon sort of side. <laughs> And and I think what's probably not been great is the way that our leaders have handled it. I look, I think if you look back, Australia is has a long history of being a racist country. 
Yeah. And remains a lot in its foundation a racist country. Yes. Um, and as much as people don't want to admit that, you know, and there is, if you just go through the policies, you know, like the um, white Australia policy, which was yep. only in the 60s, um, you know what I mean? Um, just stuff like that where things that, it's a foundation built on racism. Yeah. And Aboriginals weren't, they've had to force a reconciliation. Yeah. Instead of actually um, current governments embracing it. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. Um, yeah, it's, look, it's not an easy subject. Uh, no, but it's I not. think it's something everyone, I believe, in Australia is handling maturely. Yeah. Um, a guy tried to show up at. The Aboriginal, um, one of the Aboriginal protests oh, in that. a MAGA hat. What an idiot. Um, but did you see what happened to him? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> they picked him up and threw him back in his car. A whole heap of bikers <laughs> picked him up and threw him away. <laughs> Get out of here, you effort redneck yeah. C-word. So <laughs> that good. was awesome. I think That was awesome. I think if we're going to be unity, uh, it, time has passed too long now uh, for the date to remain. I think when you see 50,000 people protested over the, the weekend um, to change the date, um, major major radio networks have yeah, changed some of their programming that was scheduled for Australia Day to other days to, to respect the culture. I think it's just gone a little bit too long. And I actually think the only option that is there now is to change the date because it shows that we want to bring unity as opposed to asking people to come in the line. Sure. Um, and let's be honest, as much as our Prime Minister made a little bit of a, a, a slip up in the way that he approached it, um, which, you know, what he said was just idiotic, uh, which was that the convicts had a rough time as well. Um, <laughs> you can't make a statement like that. The, the um, you know, First Nations people suffered massively and we just need to not get them to pull in the line with us. You know, the yeah. the white versus indigenous. Exactly. We just need to just say, hey, here's an actual show of, you know, how do you offer? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, in honesty, Australians aren't going to care as long as they can get a day off work. Yeah. <laughs> and still listen to the Triple J Hot yeah, 100. That's exactly right. But so really, it's like. Pick yeah. a significant Australian date and let's embrace it. Yeah, free date. And let's, let's be honest. Let's put it around Anzac Day so we get two days off. Boom. That'd be good. There we go. Good. You heard it here, people. All right, superb. Anyways, I, I actually, uh, I'm in a little bit of a growth period where I'm really embracing our Indigenous heritage. Probably having a son who is identified as Indigenous is uh, is That's really spurn that. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. So, on Kathy Lee's side. Yeah. No so, wow. There you so go. Yeah, so my little Reed. man. Yeah. So. Jeff. So there you go. It's, it's funny. Oh, no, no, I'm not loving it. I'm like, I have a friend who's. I have a friend who um, believes that he might be of Aboriginal heritage. Yep. Because his uncle had a high stomach. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. That sounds. That sounds so racially driven. That decision. Oh, sweet lordy lord. So, yeah. How did we get there anyway? I don't know how we got on oh, that we'll topic. Oh, we about Australia. It's around oh, Australia. Yeah. Day so, I actually saw, speaking of the Marvel filming in Australia, yeah. is there was footage of a uh, boat party that happened on 
on Australia Day. Yeah. Because Sasha Baron Cohen is now taking up residence in Australia. His okay. wife, Isla Fisher, is uh, Australian. And very so, underrated comedic actress. Oh, uh, yes. Very underrated. Very underrated, man. She should be getting so many more movies. She, her comedic timing. She should. You know what? This is going to sound terrible. But Isla Fisher is the comedic actress that Rebel Wilson should be. Oh, it's just about the exact same thing. And I actually we think... We should have a podcast. We should have a podcast. <laughs> um, I think her her work in Wedding Crashes is just it's like the immediate goal. In most of her films, man. Yeah. Most so of her true. films. So they were having a, a celebration on a boat and there was like Natalie Portman was there with her family. Uh, You've got Sasha Matt Rankel. Damon's over here. Matt Damon's Sammy here. Sammy Alexander. Chris Pratt's here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dave Batista's here. Oh, is he? The Ooh. whole Guardians of the Galaxy here and they're all... Uh, Quarantining so Yeah they're all here Ooh. They're all here Craig I have a crush on her Yes Wonderful Only when she's in her Weird coloured skin Blue Blue Yeah blue <laughs> skin She's blue double D Woo woo <laughs> Alright well Here we are It's time to talk Catherine Bigelow Craig Awesome But Before we do I just think we should give everyone a little brief overview of Catherine Bigelow so they understand who we're about to dive in. This is her origin story. This is her origin story. So, Craig, for all those people at home that may not know a lot about Catherine Bigelow, let's just take a moment. Let's just hear about it. Born on the 27th of November 1951 to a librarian and a paint factory manager, Catherine Bigelow graduated high school and began studying a fine arts degree. Over time, her study of painting evolved into the usage of film as a medium. Her first short film, The Setup, was released in 1978 and began a career that had spanned more than 40 years. With a filmography that includes Near Dark, Point Break, Zero Dark Thirty and Academy Award winning The Hurt Locker, Let's talk about Catherine Bigelow. So good, Craig. I love our little intro episodes where we get to just really hear about those little yeah, nitty-gritties exactly. of what's it's happened. It's cool just to hear it. Because I, I, I deliberately sometimes keep myself in the dark area so I can just, ooh! Yeah, <laughs> I do love it when you have a genuine like surprise yeah, exactly. reaction. So, um, well, let's. I thought in previous seasons what we've done is we've sort of taken a look at a director's filmography. Yep. Then we sort of talk about projects that they were close to directing, but didn't really get to get there. Yeah. So what I thought we might do is mix it up just a little bit. Yep. And we'll just work through basically a timeline. Yeah, of their, let's get a timeline. Their, their life. And so you sort of get an idea. I think in this time as well, you can sort of go, oh, okay, so all this was going on in the 80s, or this is going on in the 90s. Like and a, this is your life. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So Catherine Bigelow. So still going. This is your, your life. life. I don't think so. Don't think so? They used to hand that book over. Yeah, that's at right. The end. Yeah. And Love then it. Australia just ran out of celebrities after like one season. Well, you can only do John Farnham. <laughs> like, you know, how many times John Farnham got to get This Is Your Life? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, they do one for Tim Cahill now, I reckon. Oh, Tim Cahill? Reckon? Tim Cahill? This Is Your Life. But they could do it. Hemsey? The Hemsworth? Hemsey Chris Hemsworth? Oh, that's. <laughs> get all the Hemseys the on The DJ there. one? Who's the DJ one? No. There's a DJ hand? No, no. <laughs> Isn't it like usually when someone's famous and they can't be famous, they be a DJ instead? Oh, like Tom Hanks's kid. <laughs> Is he a DJ? Yeah. Colin and a Hanks. rapper. 
No, no, he's got, he's got another one. He's got another one as well. See, that's how bad he is. <laughs> no, I know he's got another one because he said that beautiful speech about him that time. Did he? One of his award speeches he talked oh, about really? how he, he really like soldiered through a whole heap of personal tri- tribulations. I went down a rabbit hole of a father and son um, duo the other day. It was Brendan Gleeson and Dom Hall Gleeson. Yeah, I love them. You know their, I love Dom Hall Gleeson. Heaps of their um, interviews together. Fucking hilarious. Are they? Hilarious. Oh. He once had to um, accept an award for his dad. It was so funny. In a category that he was nominated in as well. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> so good. Go oh. Google. Go. We love Domino Gleason. Yeah, Actually, uh, About Time is yeah. one of our... Um, <sighs> like, you know how you have those movies that you love with your significant other? Yep. About Time is one of those for us. About Time is just that. Yeah. I watch, yeah. Because of my dad. It just breaks my heart. Bill Nighy. So good in that film. Have you seen Frank with Domhnall Gleeson? It's also got Michael Fassbender. Frank? It's called Frank, right? Is that the one with the robot, Frank Langella? No. (laughs) No. Look it up. It's called Frank. I think it's called Frank. You sure it's Frank? Because Frank has a robot in it. Check it it out. And it's Frank Langella, and he becomes friends with a a robot, which is meant to There's someone at home yelling at me. Yeah, probably my brother, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) He knows his name, Frank. <laughs> and uh, and Frank and Frank Langella um has this robot, and basically the robot and him become really close friends. Yeah, it's called Frank. Is it? And it's got Michael Fassbender in it, and it's this quirky film. You got to track it down. I think I it's know on what Netflix. you're talking about now. No, Frank, and he's got the paper mache head. That's exactly right. So that's right. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson ends up in a band. With this like alternate sort of yeah. band where the lead singer wears a paper mache head that's got a microphone built into it and he doesn't ever see him take the hat off. So you never see Michael Fassbender? At the end you do. You see Little Fassbender? No, Little Fassbender doesn't make or an appearance. Little Big Fassbender. <laughs> oh, have you, you know, seen I, Shame? I, no. But you know I heard the other Incredible. day. Incredible. He has um domestic violence history accusations. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, Fassy. Yeah, oh, Fassbender. Yeah, when he was 2008 or 2009. Aww. But there's there's uh, there's questions around it. Well, and uh, look, I don't want to get into the... the I know, the, I, I, the I know we just went somewhere fucking horrible, but I know. Because I was just... I'm a, I'm a ridiculous addict to Reddit. Yep. And fucking, I just, something popped up the other day and I just went, and the comment section said it and a link to an article because everyone goes, source, source. <laughs> so you see someone <laughs> that. And so you jump in it and then it went to the source of the article and then it went to another article. and I was down a rabbit hole and I just, yeah. Have you seen those, that your shouting of source made me think of it. Uh, have you seen those internet drama videos where the guy writes a song based upon those sort of threads? I fucking love that guy. Um, yeah, it's so amazing. <laughs> Just um, shut your thin mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do my broccoli casserole recipe. And his beats are superb. Oh, he's a talented he seriously dude. is so talented. And he's clever because he did three of those videos and then dropped a single. Dead area, your friends are. 
But uh, the, the best one is, is I just need butter. Have you seen that song? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, oh my God. There's like, it's seriously. This is Lubelin. Yeah, Lubelin. Um, he does this song and this person's like basically on Craigslist saying, I need butter, but I don't want friends and I don't want to meet people. I just need butter. Oh, <laughs> it's oh, so good. There's this one where he's just like, stop, ta- stop texting me and bothering <laughs> me. It's so good. That, yeah. Yeah. Check it out. It's Lubelin. so good. Well, Craig. Let's get into our Shit, that was <laughs> random. We, hey. went on, we, we are tangenting. Oh, look, I won't hard. lie. Jeff and I are on a late night run again. Yeah. So this could get fucking weird quickly. <laughs> we do this every time. Like, we're, we're, a, we're too old, man. Once it gets past eight o'clock, Jeff and I are just like, eh. It's like, <laughs> don't give us coffee after 8 p.m. We're like, we're like old man gremlins. I've actually had a glass of wine too. You have tonight. I know. Do, we, yeah, do you know what it is? Our episodes get out of hand when we have a meal together beforehand. That's, oh, yeah, that's true, a promise. True. Remember, gets it's too re- cash. Do you know what it is? We've spent too much time together already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've just gone into just full-blown hang mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, so what we're going to do is take a little look at Catherine Bigelow's life in a timeline. Yep. Uh, as opposed to what we'd normally do. And we'll talk about films in there, some things that have just gone on in her life that are yep. going on. Um, she's had a pretty adventurous life in terms of oh, cool. the way that her career started and people she knows that have guided her into her career. And then even uh, we'll talk about some projects that were close to happening but never happened. Oh, cool, cool. Okay. Now, it's probably best to know Catherine Bigelow is really, um, she's quite meticulous in putting together her films. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Say compared to Ron Howard, we've got quite a contrast where Ron Howard still takes a lot of time to make his films, but he's just about pumping them out in a business sense. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow approaches these, they're works of art to her. Ah, okay. She's going to take her time. So compared to Ron Howard where we had, you know, 23, 24 films, I think it was, something crazy yeah. like that, where literally got 10 films that we will talk Remember about. Remember Howard's season. born of Hollywood? Yes. You know what I mean? He's uh, literally a product of Hollywood. Yes, he is. Um, he's like one of those super soldiers that you see in those movies. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and that's that's how his movies come out. Yeah. Whereas, um, I guess people who are introduced to Hollywood, I guess like we're going to find out more about Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Probably it's a very different um, ball game. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I love it. That's a really great segue into just her life and why they're works of art. So. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow was born November 27, 1951. Now, her mother was a librarian and her father was a paint factory manager. Man, that's awesome. So, obviously, their home is filled with paint. Books and paint. Books and paint. So, um, at age six, Bigelow started taking painting seriously and really doing quite well at it and just fell in love with painting. Oh wow! Yeah, so actually, yeah, that's an ironically, that's a very, that's a very fancy like um, group of experience in there. Hey, yeah, yeah, and you never I really think about that. Yeah, I thought, I thought it's just one of those things An that it's probably colors. And yeah, textures. that's exactly right. A painted man has, and they've got beautifully steady hands, man. Very much so. Mm. So and patience. Yeah. So you're crafting something. You're taking your time on it. And I actually thought we'll try and do this more. Is to talk about lineage in a way yeah because i think it's really important to know the parental influence that could go through to this yeah you know like the sam raimi season was really interesting because his father was the one who really got him into filmmaking 
because his father wanted to document through a Super 8 camera as much as they could the family films, which then led Raimi to fall in love with editing and stuff like that. Um, so as a kid, Bigelow describes herself as a gangly and ostracized young person. Awesome. She said uh, she was the student that would draw on her own at the back of the room. And she actually considered herself quite socially awkward and still views herself in the same way. Oh, really? Yeah, so a bit of a loner. Socially I agree awkward. with that. Now, I have to say, I spent a lot of time watching Catherine Bigelow interviews. Oh, did you? Yeah, for this. So I really, I wanted to get as much from Bigelow, and this has been my sort of aim for the season ahead is I want to get as much from the filmmaker as I can. Yeah. A lot of the time in my research, I'm trying to pull from as many sources as I can. Yeah. And I just want to get, if I can hear it from the filmmaker, it's going to be way and better. Get a than, beat to her. Yeah, yeah. And really get an understanding. And so, um, Bigelow, there was a great interview where she sat and just had a cup of coffee and just was asked questions and talked about herself. And what was really apparent, and I'm sort of digressing here before we need to, but it just gives a good in yeah. understanding is Bigelow had this great knowledge of um, European directors that she would uh. just rattle these names off as big ones. And she kept talking about a director, uh, Fassbender, who was this like beautiful director that she just loved his work. And it really, for me, it painted a picture of um, how much, if she's passionate about something, she's going to dive in to know as much about it as possible. Yeah. And I think it's probably a really good indicator for those later films such as your Zero Dark Thirties and your Hurt Lockers mm. and Detroit, which are very, um, they're grounded and based in reality. Mm. I think it's really important to know that she's that sort of person. She also... Uh, it's also very gritty. Yeah, that's exactly memory, right. Anyway, and yeah. we'll we'll talk a bit about why I think that might be a part of her filmmaking. Yeah. It's very all her films I think has a gritty nature to it. Um and we'll get there soon. So um she also was really she was quite humble. So as she was she'd make little offhanded comments about even as they were setting a shot up, she's like, Oh, why don't you do it here? And then it'll be like in taxi driver. <laughs> and so she, so that sort of that little statement I go oh wow she not only watched like she referenced taxi driver a lot through one of these interviews <laughs> and it made me realize that she like loves the medium of film yeah and just like pulls it apart to go all right she could picture straight away where she was sitting the angle that she was facing and where the camera was placed that they could get a taxi driver-esque shot from there so you go it's someone that knows their craft, like yep. really knows their craft. So after finishing high school in 1970, uh, Catherine Bigelow was accepted in the San Francisco Art Institute where she studied a Bachelor of Fine Arts focusing on painting. Yeah. Um, during this time, she was actually accepted into Whitney Museum of American Arts Independent Study Program. Now, Whitney, uh, Whitney Houston? Whitney <laughs> Museum of American Arts was actually founded Mike by Gertrude <laughs> Vanderbilt Whitney. Oh, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt, not Mike Whitney. <laughs> not <laughs> but Mike who Whitney. dares wins, Craig? Who dares wins? <laughs> who dares wins? Tony Zayetta, man. She loved her. She ended up being a Bollywood star. Oh, that's right. Hey. Yeah, went off and became massive over there. But, yeah, so the, the um, museum was actually founded by Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. 
Yeah. Um, and it's a museum that stores like fine art and yeah. has exhibitions, but they also have an independent program where they choose some of the best up and coming artists. And basically just, uh, I think they chose like 15 people at a time. Wow. And basically were given the opportunity to study in New York with a studio. They got, the students had to find themselves a mentor and they would really be like, it's this place where they take good artists and turn them into great artists. Oh, wow. And yeah, so, yeah, one of those. um, so she was selected to this. And so in the middle of her studying at San Francisco Art Institute, she moved to New York to also study at the Whitney Institute. Dang. Which is pretty huge. So it's pretty huge, especially for a um, painter. Yeah. Yeah, very you know, much all so. Of those are painting artists, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pretty massive. So her paintings actually revolved around taking Renaissance art and reimagining it as abstract expressionism. Okay. So you could... That should be crazy yeah yeah so already she's taking something and i think this is a really the reason i wrote this down was when i heard it um one of the things that i read a lot of people say about Catherine bigelow's filmmaking is she likes to subvert things yeah she likes to flip it and and make it something different when you think it's something and so the roots of that are already in her art. She takes a Renaissance painting and just flips it to be something totally different. And so uh, that's in 1971. So then she graduates from San Francisco Art Institute in 1972. While she's living in New York, she actually lived um, that sort of uh, life of artistic poverty. Bohemian. So she's living really poorly and she was staying with a painter called Julian Schnabel. Now, Julian Schnabel was a painter at the time who went on to become a filmmaker. Oh. He actually became an Oscar-nominated director. Oh, wow. For The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, really? Yeah, and he also directed Before Nightfalls, which was Javier Bardem's Oscar-nominated performance that was also his breakthrough breakthrough role okay so um so they they lived together in an acclaimed performance artist named vito aconchi's loft Ooh, yeah so he's just seems like a real sort of um yeah a real seems like this hardcore bohemian lifestyle yeah so biglow's living amongst all this now she said where her studio... So part of her being part of the, the, the Whitney Museum um, program was that Bigelow was given a studio of her own yeah, to just create art in. Oh, that's good. Okay, so she talks about that sort of time as a really rough time. She says she remembers sleeping in her studio at times to the sound of gunshots. Because we've got to remember this oh, is seventies New York. Oh, this yeah, yeah, this is fucking when it's Joe Carnahan. That's right. That's exactly right. New York taxi driver. This is taxi oh, yeah, this driver. Is actually taxi driver. So um, she would fall asleep to the sounds of gunshots, and I, I think um, her love of taxi driver and this environment that is really those formative years. Yeah. For someone, I think it actually really influences the visceral sort of gritty style of her filmmaking because she's lived all that hard stuff. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like seeing it all the time. And you could imagine um, Catherine Bigelow is constantly described as a in a beautiful woman, a very attractive and beautiful yeah. woman. And so much so she actually during this time did some modelling work. 
Oh wow! Um, yeah, because I was looking at a picture of her. She is a she's that um, she's that typical eighties beauty. Yes, she you know is. I mean? Like she can actually see her with that if she just they slick back her hair. Yep. No, <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally, yeah. I get it. So, um, for for a woman in that time to be on her own in a big grimy city, you can imagine it was quite tough and probably confronting at times. Oh yeah. And so, I think it really influences the sort of filmmaker that we get because, again, she has my thoughts of her filmmaking is quite masculine. Yeah. Especially when you think about Hurt Locker and those later films, Point Break even to an extent. It's oh, quite Point a, Break is, yeah. Quite a, you know, like if, it's been a while since I've watched it, so we'll talk Point Break a bit there. But my memory is it's a Michael Bay-esque sort of film. Yeah, that's my that's my memory of it. That's my memory always has been of it. Yeah, so that's that's so masculine. And I think she's had to become, I think... This is my assumption, so please don't take this as gospel, everybody. Remember, but this is our first intro episode. It's, that's it's not right. always right. <laughs> it's not right. But I think growing up in this environment, or not growing up, but growing into this environment, which is she's growing into being a teen to a woman, you know, this is this is a harsh, probably a party lifestyle environment as well, where the oh. men were probably quite chauvinistic and opportunistic. I think Bigelow had to become one of the hard sort of players in order to survive in that world. Even the art world around that time, well, even yeah. the art world now, it's still very cutthroat because yes. obviously not every painter makes it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also, there's considerable, a considerable amount of politics within um, the art world. Yep. And so bad... And not everyone can get into it. Not everyone can get out of it either. Yeah, totally. Like I was reading the other day about um, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. There were people who actually he tried to buy some um, some paintings and they wouldn't let him because they the art would have a specific hold over who gets paintings and who doesn't. Really? Well, so what it does is it keeps the reputation of the art world high Wow. I know exactly, isn't it weird? And they and they're actually very picky on who gets these types of things. Wow. I know exactly. Yeah, he supposedly he complained about it. yeah. Yeah, it's and it's oh, give him his paintings. Give him his paintings, fucking Harry Potter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You see they announced that they're developing TV a TV series? Yeah, is it based on Harry Potter or is I it just have, I haven't brought myself that, to read it just yet. I think it's in that Harry Potter world. I hope it's in the world. I think Actually, this will probably be the direction they go to avoid the movies, which have got way too much controversy at the moment, I think. Yeah, so. exactly. I think so. I think that, and they just, I reckon they need to go to a different school. Yeah. I'd yeah. happily go to different schools. Yeah, exactly. There's got to be plenty of schools. Yeah. Like magicians, there's got to be like a street school. That's exactly right. You know, there's like a New York school. An underground school. An underground school. An Australian school. Oh. That'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get fucking magpies dropping shit off to you. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking awesome magical kangaroos. Never long bottom riding in a kangaroo's oh, pouch. Nev. <laughs> Nev. Never long ass. <laughs> <laughs> never, never long ass. It's his dad, Kev. Kev. <laughs> Kev Potted. <laughs> so good. So, Greg, during this time, Bigelow continues painting and. Uh, her work start bringing her in amongst that New York art scene. She's really starting to connect in there. And while at a party, she meets a renowned conceptual artist called Lawrence Wiener. 
now a whiner, who told her she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever met. Bullshit! And began to describe a few things that he wanted to do with her, (laughs) to which she cut him off really quickly and sort of said, I know about you, not going down this road. And What's his name again? Lawrence uh, Weiner. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying Anthony Weiner. No, (laughs) no. But regardless of the introduction that she had with him, uh, they actually started developing a bit of a rapport and he actually goes on to become her mentor. And she actually um, talks about that relationship and friendship that they had actually really shaped her into the artist that she is today. That's awesome. So much so that um, there's a really awesome ad that I'll put on the social media when this goes live, um, which is a Rolex commercial that she's talking about Rolex yeah. and actually does it in front of a screen projecting him. And she just at one moment just turns around and just watches him talking and with this big grin on her face because it's someone that she obviously loves dearly yeah. and, and and like loves what he brought to her. Yeah. Um, so during this time as well, she actually became a little, began a little real estate venture. And this is where she's starting to connect with some really big people. So um, she begins a real estate venture with a composer named Philip Glass. Oh. The Philip Glass. The Philip Glass. So they would uh, buy rundown apartments. Yep. And renovate them together and flip them for wow. a profit. So they were doing that together in the 70s. Jesus. And uh, she's hanging out with a lot of famous artists at this time. But really what changed it all was a conversation. She's a painter. She is the daughter of a painter. And they're handy handy people. (laughs) With a brush. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But they're handy with everything because they have to fix panels up before they paint them and stuff like that. Nah, painters are handy bastards. Hands on. Hands Hands on on people. Um, So it was a conversation with a friend of a friend that really changed everything for Bigelow. That friend of a friend was an, uh, a little known artist called Andy Warhol. Oh! <laughs> who has a conversation with her and explains to her how he felt that film is a way more populous than art. So basically saying art is good, but by doing art, you're ruling out a whole heap of a market that you can't tap oh, into. Man, I'd love to hear her stories, hey. And so, yeah, I know, right? I know, I know. Hey. And so um, Andy Warhol basically says, if you really want to reach people with art, you've got to be making films. Man, there's got to be a lot of sex and psychedelics in this part. <laughs> and so the thoughts um, that he brought was something that actually Bigelow herself had been pondering. She'd actually um, began incorporating elements of film into her art because she felt the message she wanted to convey it was getting too difficult to put onto a canvas. Yeah. So she was elevated, uh, you know, incorporating elements of that in there, and then ultimately led her down a road where she started making short films in order to get the message across because it just was too difficult. Um, so. That conversation with Andy Warhol is shortly followed by what she considers one of the most important moments in her film career, which was she headed to the cinemas and watched a double billing of Mean Streets and The Wild Bunch. Oh, God. Now, The Wild Bunch, she describes as her favourite film. Yep. And for her watching these two films back to back, everything shifted. And it was the moment she's like, I want to make movies from now on. You know what? Hearing that makes a lot of sense for her almost 
action blockbuster type yep. films where she where she plays those around. Yeah. And then obviously Mean Streets just well, you know, everyone who loves movie needs to love Scorsese. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And Scorsese was he's encompassing the seventies and he, New York in he that is time. Him and you could say um Coppola to some extent. Yep. Yeah, and I think probably John Cassavetes. Um are all that seventies. Yeah. Seventies um just heroes. Totally. Yeah, definitely. So by the end of the seventies, Bigelow actually films and releases her first short like cinematic short yeah. film, not art project short film, called The Setup. The film's twenty twenty minutes long and it's uh described as a deconstruction of violence. And so within that, um I tried really hard to find it so that I could have an informed place to talk about but i couldn't get it via any legal means oh, okay. and you know how i am Craig. No, I am, hey, um, well done well done so i tried i even signed up to a couple streaming services that said they had Tubi it on there movie i signed up to movie didn't have it on there the jerks um but essentially it's been described as a pre-fight club fight club Oh, cool. Yeah, see, in the way that it's done. But this short film is actually really important as well for Bigelow because it was spotted by director Milos Forman. Oh, really? Who championed the short film and began taking... he take, was big around this time. Yeah, he was, he was. So he takes Bigelow under his wing and starts sort of saying, all right, how do we get you making a feature film? Yeah. So we sort of fast forward a little bit. And in 19... And sort of around that time... Uh, they she starts writing with one of her fellow film school students, um, her first film, which is called The Loveless. Yay! Now The Loveless starts filming in ninety one. Well, it has its premiere in nineteen eighty one. Sorry, at Festival de Film Lucano in Switzerland. Oh, okay, cool. So that's where the films films first premiered. But it wasn't until nineteen eighty four that it actually got its theatrical release. That's bonkers, hey. So, out. But this is at a time of distribution. And it also took a blockbuster sometimes up to 12 months to become one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a hit, it, you know, because yeah. it just, it was word of mouth. So looking into what was going on in those sort of three years, she sort of took it to lots of film festivals and just kept sort of, I don't know if it was shopping it around, but really getting it out there. Probably the way an artist would approach it is yeah. you take your artwork on the road and you take it all around the world and you show it and... Then hopefully you get to make some more art. Yeah, and so she does make some more art in 1987. She releases the film Near Dark. Near Dark, man, that's uh, one film I can't wait to get back into. Oh, seriously, I, I've not seen The Loveless and I've not seen Near Dark. Man, oh well, I've I've seen Near Dark. Like I'd never heard of The Loveless until um, researching into this area. Yep. Um, but man, Near Dark, yeah. Bill Paxson. Oh, we well, had a huge It's Bill really Paxson. funny. So I've uh, only thing I know about it is it's a vampire western. Yep. Is what it's been described as. <laughs> and I tried really hard for a while there. It was actually really difficult to find on DVD or Blu-ray. Yep. I bought a DVD copy, which cost me about a bit more than a DVD should cost. Uh. Um, and then I discovered an amazing... SBS On Demand. I know, it was on SBS On Demand. What a goose I was. That's why I watch it. I, I love to do our little photo of all the discs side by side to put on our socials. Oh, yes, you do. And so I found it on Blu-ray through a German company that do these limited runs. Oh. Sort of like... Mission Darken. Yeah. Perfect, perfect German, Craig. Thank you. It sounded Thank you. just like Thank it. Um, and so Don't I got saying that. a fatty Jungfrau. 
What the heck does that mean? You're a fat virgin. Oh, <laughs> how do you know that? I dated some Germans girls. <laughs> Is that what someone called you? No, no, I wanted to call people stuff. So you <laughs> can be um, fat accident or fat virgin and stuff like that. Wow. Yep. My wife's listening to this going, great, Craig. <laughs> I love Germans, man. They were good. They were, <laughs> so they were great good. girls. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> I'm really keen to see Near Duck because I do know it's got quite a cult following. Yes, it does. I love Bill Paxton. Yes. Um, so, But I did see this poster while I was doing a lot of search for one Blu-ray release. I think it was the UK Blu-ray release that had this very, like, it was a really Twilight-esque poster. So it was just like. Is it the, the drawing one? No, not the drawing one. This was almost like those well, Lance sort of... Lance was standing... He's up no, that's middle. on the DVD, Yeah, the, uh, the Blu-ray copy that I got. And then there's the, the Bill Paxson one where... He's like looking all mangled and, and yeah. yeah. Um, this was actually... It sort of looks like... The only one that I can describe it as... Remember a couple of years ago? Oh, it's a while oh, ago. Oh, is now. it like in, in, in layers of blue? Yes. Yes, I remember. And it's almost like this... They look like Twilight sort of shiny and it's features. It's more focused on him, him and her. Yes, that's exactly right. It reminded me of the Colin Farrell Fright Night poster. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't that watched that, hey. Me either. A few people say it's Everyone actually says quite you've got to get on it. I yeah. love the original Fright Night. I've not seen either, so I need to jump on Man. that. But um, So I'm really interested to see where that goes. I'm skeptical because... It's not until I started looking into it that I started realizing the cult following it has. Yeah. But I'm quite open to a Catherine Bigelow vampire film. I think, yeah, it's, I think it's, um, look, I can barely remember any of it. Um, it's just one of those films where I just know Bill Paxton. Um, we got on to Bill, me and my brother John, oh, and Frank, um, we got on to Bill Paxton through um, Weird Science. Yes. Um, Weird science. <laughs> and then basically, and so we just followed everything he'd done since that date. <laughs> um, I don't know whether it was um, before or after. I'm not sure of the dates. But I know after that, um, after Weird Science, man, if we saw his name on a poster, we had to get involved. Love and it. obviously Aliens afterwards, you know. Um, I've forgotten his name, you know. But <laughs> just, um, what was his name in freaking that? Oh, okay. The character name? Yeah, the character's oh, name. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his name. But um, even there, and just followed him. Followed him everywhere. Love it. Love it. Now, it's all, in 1987, she also directed a short film for the band New Order. Ooh. Uh, which was called Touched by the Hand of God. Now, it's a bit of a uh, parody of that glam metal sort of videos that were really popular, obviously, yeah. in, the, in the 80s. They're so, a popular band. Um, yeah, so she she did that as well. Now it's also they had a fake band film clip once. Did they? Yeah, so they created a band New Order in one of their film clips. They created a band, a fake band within that clip, and they called it the Killers. Oh, and Brandon really? Flowers saw that film clip, and that's renamed Killers. No way! There you go, bro. Thank you, Craig. Boom! <laughs> and for those playing at home, thanks for joining us on. Thank you. Thank Craig you. Killing Shitty Trivia. Shitty Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Killing Stupid YouTube Facts. No, I love it. No, and I Reddit love those fact. facts. I love those facts. It's around this time as well that um, Catherine Bigelow started dating James Cameron. Yo! Obviously. She called him Jim. And Jim. We all call him Jim so when we're friends. Jim. This was before Craig's Jim had a chat to him. Asked him a question. Yeah, no, he loved my question. He did love your he question. He did. He good said, job. Very good question. Very good question. He I did. can't remember the question. I do. 
Yeah. You talked about the way. So Craig and I are very fortunate. Um, James Cameron came out to Australia probably like two years ago now. Yeah. Um, and he did vir- virtually a TED talk. Which yeah, it was for talk- the opening of. It was Livid Festival. Vivid yeah, but Festival. It, was, it was Vivid Festival, but. And was- they also opened a museum exhibition yeah. featuring his At submarine work. Yeah. Um, so he, it was focused primarily on his um, maritime, work. maritime work, but he also talked about some filmmaking stuff in there as well, which Craig asked him if there was any leadership that he was able to take from filmmaking oh, yeah, into his right. maritime skills. work yeah. or maritime work into filmmaking. And it was very clear in the conversations that James Cameron had throughout the night that he was very much about leading. Like yeah. he was a very, he, he, everything was about how can I lead. I remember this the and, and picking, picking talent. Yes, and then trusting that talent. That's right. Like you lead them the way, and then trusting them to get the rest of it. That's exactly. That's right. right. Yes. Yes. So he, he, and he, he said, "Good question." Yes. Yeah, he did. He really enjoyed it. We actually did, sat yeah. right behind his entire family and who were sitting there. I got a little half bar. That was awesome. Yeah. Jim Cameron Rightly gave you a compliment. So. Yeah, exactly. Rightly so. He you should. yells at people. You should. Um, <laughs> so James Cameron starts dating around this time. The, the exact sort of time is a bit sketchy. Yeah. Some people are saying pre-near dark. Some saying post-near dark. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But they would marry in 1989. But unfortunately, they got oh, they divorced. they got married. Yeah, they got married. Oh, well, I didn't know it got that far. And they divorced I just thought him. it was a little bit of my dingling. <laughs> well... Before, and then they got married. But unfortunately, only got divorced after two years. After or two they years. got divorced after only two years. But they still remain good friends. And there are, like, lots of interviews where they're together talking about things. Oh, hell yeah. Well, he, he had the, ironically, luckily they're good friends, he had to present her with the Best Director Award. Yes, for the Hurt Locker. Yeah, for the Hurt Locker because he had won previously for Mail the yep. year before. So <laughs> luckily they talked to each other and on good terms because <laughs> fuck, that would have been awkward. That, w- <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't have been horrible. Just, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Would Jim. have been horrible. <laughs> Still a dirty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Just like cranking up at the screen at each other. Now, Post Near Dark is a really interesting little time for uh, Catherine Bigelow because... Around this time, which is sort of 1989, James Cameron had started developing a film called Wolverine and the X-Men. <sighs> now, the plans was that James Cameron would direct this film. It was written by Gary Goldman, who had written Big Trouble in Little China. He'd oh, go on to write... Good writer. He'd also go on to write uh, Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall and the Navy Seals. Oh, wow, man. I love this um, dude. Film. It would so, have been a classy film, but hey, it sounds good. Well, the film was to star Bob Hoskins... Yes. As Wolverine. James Cameron, man. He was the guy who, who gave us so much hope. He was one of the first jumping on to Spider-Man as well. Yeah, well, we'll get there in a second. Oh, sorry. And Angela Bassett was to, to star as Storm. Storm. Now, if I remember rightly, Angela Bassett turns up in a film a bit later on for us. I think she might be in Strange Days, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, she is. She is. So, we'll get there a bit later. But Cameron actually left the project when he was offered the opportunity to work on a Spider-Man film. Now, you can hear a lot more about that in our Spider-Man episode that we talked about in the Sam Raimi season, in season three. Um, It really goes into details, Cameron's vision for Spider-Man and why that project didn't go ahead. Um, So, at the same time, Carol Coe, or a bit after James Cameron leaves, um, the hope was that Bigelow would come on and direct the film. 
the X-Men. All the, yeah, the X-Men mm. film that basically Cameron had set up to the point of casting. So she was set to think, the, to direct, but the problem was that Carol Co. that was the production company yeah. went bankrupt. Fuck, so and the project auditions out there at Bob Hoskins as fucking 100% as Wolverine. So, anyways, uh, that fell apart in 1989. Now, the next year, Catherine Bigelow reteams with the writer of Near Dark. His name's Eric Red, and they write and she films Blue Steel, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Ron Silver. Ron Silver does he uh, produce? Does he? It's not Ron Silver. No, he's the 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 actor. Ooh. Oh, what's his I'm name? I'm jumping on. I'm jumping on. Jump on. Find out. It's Silver. It's something Silver. Long John. Long John? It could be Long John. <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. I remember this actor, man, because I remember watching Blue Steel with Dad. Blue Steel. Ron Silver. Go Craig. Thank you. He's a good actor, man. If you look at him, you know him. And if you go through his work, you'd know him too. Oh, wow. He's been, he's been in a oh, few he's films. He's been in heaves, man. I don't know yeah. if he's acting now. I haven't seen him in a fair while. Yeah, he was in the West Wing for 19 episodes. Yep. Then he was a... He was a last I saw All him, right. he was a villain priest in a movie. Dang, let's, let's just take priest. a moment and talk Ron Silver. So, he was in, we're having a look here, so he's in Blue Steel. Yep. Uh, he then goes on to be in Mr. Saturday Night. Yep. He was also in Time Cop. With That's John right, Van Time Dan. Cap. Yep, yeah, he was the senator. Fucking awesome villain. Uh, the Arrival. The Arrival. Oh, no he was also in Chicago Hope. Remember that yeah. uh, hospital show? That was awesome. Uh, he was in that. He was in Veronica's Closet. Oh, Veronica's Remember Closet? Remember that wow. one? Oh, my God. Kirstie Alley? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Veronica's Closet, <laughs> There's a memory man. thing for you. Shit. Uh, what else? Did the oh, One episode of The Practice. He was in Ali. Ali. With Will Bye. Smith. Um, oh, just going through here. There's so much Law oh, and Order, Trial by Jury. Seriously, The West Wing. The guy was just a um, one of those huge character actors. Wow. Well, huge thanks for bringing character. that to our attention. Oh, no, I just remember him because yeah, um, from memory, man, he's just a hardcore villain in that film. So I, I'm going to have to watch because I, I even looking at his picture, I'm like, mm, can't remember him. But yeah, when we get to Blue Steel, we'll I check think it it's out. one of his first films. A year later. She releases Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, good. my God. Never. Oh, man. Seriously, I fucking... I don't know how many times I've seen it. I'm and I really had a crush on Laurie Petty. Hey, she was almost close to huge. She was. She went on to Tank Girl and then nothing. She was so close. I feel like there's something that might have gone on that sort of made like it... back... Like something... Outside of filmmaking, oh that God, was a I bit of a drama. Weinstein. No, no, not in. The, oh, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. You're knows. hearing a lot of but the truth come out lately. I think. Where it's just I think a lady there was said some... no. She wasn't just difficult to work <laughs> yeah. with. It's just because she said no. Uh, but I'm really interested. I haven't seen. If I've seen Blue Steel, I haven't watched it beyond watching it the first time, which is probably in the 90s. Yeah. If I was yeah. to do it, so I'm pretty much going in fresh to that film. Yeah. Point Break, on the other hand, I have watched so many times. It's going to be amazing to watch it from a different perspective. I know. That's all I'm so pumped for. I'm so excited. Just, I've never, ever looked at this from a directing perspective. Yep. Never, man. I just It was just one of those staples of youth, man. Well, I think you go in watching it for, um, for Swayze. 
it's I think that's the reason everyone. I watch it. And Keanu, obviously. Keanu. And so, and it's just so even quotable. Gary like, Busey. Gary Busey was awesome in it. Fucking the little spot by Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. That would be a waste of time. Flea's in there as Fle- well. Oh, yeah, Flea is in there, isn't Kiedis it? gets shot in the foot. Yeah, so he should, man. I'm looking forward Fuck to it. Who hides behind a fucking door? <laughs> Someone on drugs. <laughs> Anthony Kiedis. But I'm really looking. He's got that. Yeah, this is how many times I watch it. He's got those Union Jack high tops on. Yeah, yeah. High tops were huge at that time, <laughs> yeah. man. I fucking love those. I think they were Reeboks. Because Reeboks, Reeboks. Reeboks were originally Mate, had the Union got, Jack on it. That's Yes. That was the original. Or is it Union Jack boxes he's wearing? He's wearing like just a pair of shorts and a pair of Reebok high tops. Yeah. And he gets shot through the foot. Yeah, that's a beautiful oh, shot man. through the foot. Cause you go, it is. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's how you go. <laughs> You're like, I feel that pain. Yeah, exactly. I feel that pain yeah. so bad. Ugh. Now, 1995, she releases Strange Days with Ray Fiennes. Love that movie. Man. I've never seen it. I mean, I'd been looking for that movie for years, and never once did it occur to me that it was Catherine Bigelow. So crazy, isn't it? When that I know, happens. I, I just loved the. It. it was. I just remember the concept was so fantastic. I. I literally have zero knowledge of what the film's like. I'm hoping I keep it that way. I do know that James Cameron wrote the script. Do you know the story? No. Do you want me to tell you? Or no? Mm. No, it's nothing bad. Okay. Don't spoil anything. No, no, no. It's just a guy deals memories. Oh, so science fiction. Yeah. Oh, man. So it's set set just before the year 2000. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Ralph... In the future. Yeah, yeah, at this time, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Ralph Fiennes is, he deals with, um, there's a thing where you can, like a VR. So, pretty much VR, and you can act, and oh, you can man. jack it, you can have other people's memories. Other people sell their memories. Because I remember wow. there's an epic scene in it where one of, he gets, he gets a memory for his friend who's in a wheelchair, and it's just of this guy running on the beach. Oh, and the guys, I don't, the guys, like, thanks, man. I can't believe it because he feels all the sensation. Yes, yeah, and he deals in that type of stuff. And then well, I won't tell you the rest. Of my me. knowledge of the but film was just literally the cover. I'd seen a couple behind the scenes shots. Mm. I thought it was a drama. Oh, really? Like a relational drama? It 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 does look like that. It's one of those dark covers where the the face. Is high and then it has those yep. little um, almost silhouette type yeah, yeah, pictures yeah. and the, all around it. Yeah, it does. It does and look so, like a thriller, like, you know, Pacific Heights or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And so I had no idea. And what was really intriguing to me was I'm like, a James Cameron written relational drama? Oh, man. So, like, now, I was now really, makes sense. <laughs> really you're like, intrigued. Oh, shit, awesome. And so now I'm like, oh, man, that sounds almost like Minority Report meets uh, Ready Player One. From memory, man, <laughs> there's most of these, f- the future films, you'll see it here. Oh, man. I'm so excited for that, Craig. So excited now hearing that. I think, you see, I think Tom Sizemore's in it. Oh, man. From memory. Yeah, I think you're right, Craig. I think Tom Sizemore's in it, and I can't remember who else. Obviously, well, Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett's in it. I'm I'm really interested to see. I know Ray Fiennes is a great actor. Yeah. Did I call him Ray or Ralph? Uh, Are they it's spelt Ralph, but Rafe is basically oh, what okay, I've heard cool, people cool. call him. Maybe it's a nickname. His Don't nephew's know. gotten big. Who's his nephew? His nephew is in movies now. His nephew played um, young Tom Riddle in Harry Potter. Oh, his name's something Liam Fiennes, who was in In the Heart of the Sea. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, this kid. Craig, this no. Kid, this kid is basically, and he's he's one of the big up and coming actors now. 
forget what his next movie is. The Fines Boys, man. It's through one of the Fines sisters, I think. He, it was not. Oh, sorry. I've got to check this now because. Yeah, so he played the, the young Tom Riddle. Yeah. Not in. No, oh, no, it's a different one. The baby Tom Riddle. So young Tom oh, Riddle. Oh, little when he burns the, the to, cupboard to, in yeah, Chamber yeah, exactly. of Secrets. Yeah, that. That's a fines. That's a fines, man. How about the fact that that's... I know, it's cool, eh? <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, so, he's, yeah, he's... Is he... Um, is he in that stupid... Is he, I'm thinking he might be in that stupid... Um, you and I were talking about it the other day. You know, um, where they're those type of abusive relationships, but somehow it's a romantic story. Ooh. Oh, it's like ever or something like that. Or, you know, freaking before you catch me or before you see me or some bullshit. Or uh, after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's him. Oh, really? No, nah, I might be completely wrong on that. Oh, well, Craig, after we collided is the... After we collided, that's Here we go. Hero finds... That's it. Tiffin. That's it. Hero finds... Is that Hero Finds Tiffin? Was I right? He, just not, he played Tom Marvolo Riddle. There you go. Shit balls. In, uh, he played Tom Riddle in the um, Half-Blood Prince, not Chamber of Secrets. Um, so if anyone's there going, it's not the Chamber of Secrets, blah, blah, blah. Uh, after we collided, just so you know, Metacritic score of 14. Was it, uh, so it was him in yeah, the After he's We in Collided? Them. Awesome. He's in them. Awesome. I was right. Well, there you go. There I we do go, have Craig. knowledge retention. Thank you so much. That's no worries. Man. You're on the tidbit train today. <laughs> I love hey. it, Craig. I love it when you're on the tidbits. Um, so around this time, post Strange Days, Bigelow starts developing a project called Company of Angels. Ooh. You're going to like this one, Craig. Ooh. I like um, Angels. So Prophecy. Awesome. Bigelow really wanted to make a film, was very passionate about making a film called uh, about the life of Joan of Arc. Oh, really? And began researching the project with a script to be provided by, I'm going to say this wrong, uh, purely because it's a swear word, but uh, Jay Cox. Jay Cox. Which is... C-O-C-K-S? C-O-C-K-S. Oh, wow. Now... Uh, Jay Cox actually is quite a done a lot of great work in some um, some screenplay oh, yeah, writing. He, gets in he actually worked on Strange Days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're bad to the bone, dude. <laughs> um, he wrote the, the Age of Innocence. Oh, really? Yeah. So wrote Age of Innocence, Strange Days, mm. Gangs of New York. Ironic, a lot of cock innocence. <laughs> uh, the Lovely, which I haven't seen I yet. Haven't seen the Lovely. So you wrote uh, Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Man, yep. this guy sounds awesome. And Scorsese's Silence most recently. Oh, wow. Oh so he was to write the script for a Joan of Arc film. Now, Company of Angels was going to be, obviously, Joan of Arc film can't be a small-scale film. Yes, definitely. It's probably going to be a large-scale film. And so then uh, Bigelow needed to get out there and find some funding for what would be her biggest budget film yeah. to date. And so the project had Luke Besson come on board as a producer to provide the much-needed oh, funding. Oh, really? Yep. So I know this is good. As the project moved forward, Besson started making demands around the film, especially in terms of casting. Now, Bigelow's first choice for the lead role was Claire Danes. Oh, I remember hearing about this. Now, obviously, this time is, we're talking probably post-Romeo um, um, and Juliet. Juliet. So... He, 
Bigelow wanted Claire Danes. There was also rumour that Sinead O'Connor might be up for a role in the film somewhere as well. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, so, Basondo really wanted Mila Hovovich <laughs> to be in the film. Yeah. And uh, that was someone that Bigelow did not want to be the lead in the film. I love Mila. I love Mila. She's carved herself Good career. Yeah, she has. A good, consistent career. You know what I mean? She has. That's fantastic. She's still, but she's still, her and her husband are still friggin'. Obviously, her husband's probably given her all her latest roles. Yep. But man. She married to Lupuson. No, no, no. Her husband is the guy who's been doing the Resident Evil movies. Oh, Anderson. really? Yeah, the one that ah. everyone goes, not that Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm. And he's just doing a new movie called Monster Hunter based on the game. Oh, I'm really intrigued to see that film. Mm. I'd enjoy it. We should go see a movie. Yeah, Miller. Well, the project actually pu- fell apart when Basson pulled his funding, funding over the disagreement. But intriguingly, he went on to make his own Joan of Arc film. Yes, he did. Called The Messenger. The story of Joan of Arc, starring who, Craig? Miller Hohovovit and Dustin <laughs> Hoffman. <laughs> now, Bigelow filed a lawsuit claiming Basson was in breach of his contract and had taken elements of her script for his own film. Obviously. And so... Uh, but, how, you know, that'd be hard to do when you've got a historical... You'd have to... Yeah. yeah. There'd have to be very distinct moments that yeah, she, exactly. had, she had put in there. So, when... That was sort of all done and dusted. She then moved on from the project to work on Weight of Water. Oh, well, do you know um, Joan of Arc's one of her main lieutenants that you see in a movie who's, you know, one of these guys, one of these people who just basically helps her through the whole career, turned out to be one of the biggest serial killers of that age. Really? Yeah, man. Yeah. So historically. True, yeah, historically. Yeah, wow. Historically, like, would just... Was this guy who basically I can't remember his name. Um, uh, it's a, it's an awesome story. I'm, I was always surprised people, um, but would just killed supposedly killed like hundreds and hundreds wow. of young kids, like Ville Ville or something like that. Like something. Craig, I mean, I I love I love this shit. You yeah. do, love and I love stuff. Joan of Arc, man. I love that. I love the Messenger. There's only certain scenes though, like because Dustin Hoffman plays the devil. Oh wow! It's been so long, and he since plays he... it fantastically. Is this? It's not so much the devil he plays. Well, he plays the devil as partly in the Bible is the one who's who who's not there to tempt you, but there to make you doubt. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? And that's what he does. He's just he he he's in this cell with her, and he he, he forcing gets her these to things doubt. To doubt. It's awesome. It's an awesome sequence. Was this? I feel like this was also one of those times. You know when Hollywood just decide they're going to drop two movies. Yeah, man, Lily Sobieski. That's right. Was at the same time. God, I fucking love Lily Sobieski. Me too. Man, she was so beautiful. She was one of those like teen crushes. Oh man, mad teen crush, man. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I hear that Tal Bachman song, she's so hot. Yeah, I still remember it because they played that. Was that in Never Been Kissed? I. That was he never being kissed, <laughs> but it was also in. They played it for the um, trailers for this Joan of Arc. Yes, I remember. And they also played it because it was made by the same company as she at the time for Cleopatra. Wow, which they did at the same time, which was meant to be very similar to Joan yep. of Arc. You know what I mean? 
so interesting. But it wasn't near as dark as the messenger, or as no, it was no. I during... from memory, I remember liking the Lily Zabecki one. Oh, Lily Zabecki, yes, yeah. It was just. Oh, well, sorry, I yes, think I was sorry. yeah. Get it right, sorry. man. Get it right. Sorry. I googled her not long ago, eh? And she's just what's she up know, to? Oh, she's just family. Oh, good on her. Kids, yeah, good on her, man. Because she was close to being huge. She was. She went on to that glass lane or the glass house. Oh, I remember which that film. Was a horror film, and then basically, yeah, she just drifted off for a bit. Oh, I think she just it wasn't nothing. Just she just found family from memory. If I reckon it's one of those things too. Nowadays is really great in the sense of if your, say, film career sort of peters off for a little bit, yeah. maybe you're not getting as much work, you can actually jump into, say, you know, like a streaming service television series. Yeah. And it sort of starts this resurgence again. So it's a, like longevity of careers is probably... Yeah, you've got so many different avenues to get out yeah, there now. Yeah, it's, it's so good. So... Weight of Water is the next project she starts developing. Now, I purposely haven't looked too deeply into this. I have no idea what the Weight of Water is okay. even about. It's got a big cast. I heard that. Sean Penn. I think Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, Elizabeth Hurley. I do. Penelope Cruz is in there. Yes. Elizabeth so, Hurley's a photographer? But it's interesting because the and film, for water? some reason... <laughs> and <laughs> it's weighty. <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy water? Heavy <laughs> um, for some reason, the film was completed and took a few years to be released. And so I don't know that story just yet until we get to that episode. So I'm staying clear of it, but there's a bit of a That's tale to be told man, about Yeah, world. man, because I have a feeling around that time, Sean Penn and Liz Hurley and have Penelope a lot, Cruz have was a on lot the of controversy around them yep. to get him going. So I don't know what was the go there, but it gets released in 2002. I had a dream about Penelope Cruz the other night. Do we want to know? Yeah, no, no, it's nothing. No, it wasn't really about her. I bet Tom Cruise. <laughs> and we talked. <laughs> and Did we you talked. Did you ask him about Penelope Cruz? <laughs> no, because remember, they were together for a while. <laughs> oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, remember, that? Oh, no, save, save. That's what we're coming with. Fuck, man, that's random, Craig. Subconscious <laughs> Craig. Yeah, no, no, subconscious Craig. And I remember going, uh, yeah, because I'm in a dream talking to Tom Cruise. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, so you with Penelope? How long were you with her for? Oh, fuck. Oh, that's amazing, Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and I'm talking like he's my best mate and shit. And we're just like randomly, you know. Did you ask him if he could see that, his platform shoes? In that typical shoes? Aussie way, going, oh, fuck off, Tom. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> no, just stuff like that. I was talking like that with him because I remember going, oh, in my mind, oh, should I be talking to Tom Cruise like that? Nah, fuck it. It's Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's Tom. Love Sorry it. about that. That's a no, that's random. A, you know, that shit doesn't come. You don't. You don't remember that shit until, until you get a yeah. little Bing. light bulb. Yeah. Awesome. Um, also released in two thousand and two was K nineteen, The Widowmaker, with Harrison Ford. So two films so in like that James one. Belushi and <laughs> James Belushi. James Belushi. Craig and I had a conversation the other day. And a, and a German Shepherd. <laughs> nope. Damn, man, because that came around around the time when Turner Hooch came out as well. I got heaps of dog movie trivia, man. Why can't we get into that Ball shit? Is the, Not fucking someone climbing a mountain. <laughs> is it a mountain? Climbing a mountain? Is it's it a submarine a movie. Oh, fuck, what am I talking about? Isn't there one the movie oh, about mountain climbing? Oh, it is mountain climbing. I thought it was a submarine movie. <laughs> Is it? No, but isn't it? Is is are, are we talking two uh, different movies? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Because there's, there's a movie called K something. I purpose, which for is people at movies. home that may be thinking, what why the don't fuck they are these know? Talking about? <laughs> why aren't they knowing what they're are talking we about? We try not to. We try not to know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't. 
No, K-19 is... A mountain climbing movie. No, it's a submarine movie. The, I didn't know what I was talking about. There's a movie about K-something, which is about mountains. K-2? K-2, that's it. <laughs> which is like, isn't that what they call... Um, isn't that what um, they... Mount that, Everest? That, John Cusack um, goes Mount down Kosciuszko. in uh, Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead. <laughs> K2. Michael Bean. Yeah. There you go. Michael A Bean. US climbing team funded by Millionaire Claiborne is determined to conquer K2. Fuck yeah. Uh, hey, Michael Lisa. Bean. Michael 1991. Bean. Yeah, see, he was close to being bigger. There you go, James Cameron. Catherine Bigelow. Interesting uh, near dark fact. They wanted to offer the role of Lance Hendrickson. To my, they offered it to Michael Bean. Wow. And he read the script and said, don't understand it. Cool. I could so understand on that. <laughs> I could really understand that. Um, so not a lot of projects after that. I don't really know what's going on for the next seven years, but Catherine Bigelow doesn't release a film till 2009. Is she married? Um, I don't think so. Does she have a partner? Um, I'm not seeing anything. I haven't gone looking for that sort of information. I try to avoid really the... So, so is she really like seven years off or she did go to, you know, or does she do some I'm, TV and shit? I'm saying that we're going to find out some stuff. Oh, actually, she has done a bit of TV work. Uh, probably not around this time. She did do a few episodes of a TV series that I adored Craig growing up. I used to watch it with my mum called Homicide Life on the Street. Oh, wow. Did you? I, I used to love that show. Um, it's got the guy who's the captain out of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I fucking love him. Um, he was in it and he was amazing He's so in funny that. in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, <laughs> she did do... So between K-19 and The Hurt Locker, she did a short film called Mission Zero. Ah. And that was in 2007. And it starred Uma Thurman. And uh, it goes for eight minutes. That's pretty much all she did in terms of work. Obviously, she's probably working on a few projects, um, developing stuff. I don't know. She might have just taken a break. Who knows? Man, I I think Hollywood would make you want to have a break. And especially, I'm assuming that post the Joan of Arc thing, there's a few little dramas. I think so. I want Jeff to research a shit out of that sucker. I will find out uh, probably more so for our Hurt Locker Find out who it is. Find out who, what, where she was, what she was doing, who she was with, everything. I want the down low, man. I will give I want to know why the fuck this woman's done that. <laughs> I need I'll to know. I need to know. I'll so Ask her about th- Penelope Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Some, my subconscious must have something for her. And Tom Cruise's lifts. Yeah, and Tom Cruise's lifts. <laughs> fuck so, off, Tom. Two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so don't crack me up in my head. Even oh, in my head, I'm going, you don't say that shit to Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he chastised you for not wearing a mask. Oh. Um, so 2009, The Hurt Locker's released and Catherine Bigelow is like absolutely thrust into the, basically what I'd call the A-list of directing where everyone that year just talked about the Hurt Locker. Yes, I remember that just came out of nowhere. I'm getting a little vague memory now in watching when Hurt Locker came out, I was just blown away by the film. And I just wanted to watch all the special features. the directing was, I remember the directing. Phenomenal. The tension in that film is like just incredible. The scene where he's defusing the bomb and he pulls the one wire and then suddenly multiple yep. bombs are being dragged out of the, the dirt is just like incredible. And I remember that they actually had made the film 
possibly two years earlier. Something like that. And and there was like they'd made it without distribution and so they had to like try and find someone to release the film and it was virtually an ind- it is an independent film. And horrible as it sounded, it was the first time Catherine Bigelow really hit my radar. Yeah, well, Her I think... name hit my radar. I think for me it was the same that's as well. That's one where you go and you start to look back and go, oh, fuck, she did Point Break Yeah, well. that's exactly right. Oh, wow, she did Strange Days. That's awesome. So she actually... Wait a water. Wow. She was nominated <laughs> and won an Academy Award for Best Director that year. Well, yeah. actually, Hurt Locker was the Oscar darling. It was an Oscar darling. Um, did Renner get... Did who? Did Jeremy Renner get... Ooh, I could look it up right now for you if you Guy want. Guy Pierce did, didn't he? Guy Pierce was amazing, but he got nominated film. or some bullshit like that because I remember because he was only in it for not long. He's at the start, wasn't he? Yeah, because um, I remember or or something like that. I remember. Um, here we go. Let's have a quick look. Here. Yeah, let's crack into it. Quick, crack, quick, crack, 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 crack it. Because Jeremy Renner had only really been in a couple of films before that, like twenty eight weeks later. Because he's in 28 Weeks Later. Oh, yeah, and I love that film. Yeah. Uh, okay, Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, which it won. Yep. Uh, Best Director, which it won. Yep. Best Original Screenplay, which it won. Yep. Jeremy Renner was nominated. Cool. That's all I need. Cinematography was nominated. Score was nominated. Editing it won. And sound mixing and sound Fuck. editing it won. As it should. I can't yeah. wait to watch that film again, yeah. eh? So I can't wait either, Craig. It's oh, going to be an absolute cracker. I'm going to put that sucker on I'm loud. Oh, do I have it on Blu-ray? We no, should watch it not. together. Put I it might, on loud. No, I might get it on 4K. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, that'd be good sound-wise, man. That'd be fucking fantastic. It would be. Mm. It would be, And visually. Yeah, exactly. Pretty beautiful visually. Uh, so the next year, 2010, Time Magazine actually named Catherine Bigelow their most influential person of the year. Wow. Is that really just based on Hurt Locker? I think, yeah. Wow, she must have been a darling. She was, it was a really big deal. If I remember rightly, and forgive me people at home if I didn't get this right, I'm pretty sure she was the first female director to win ever. There was a real significance um, around I think this. So. Um, I think so. I'm going to do a little Google search. I'm pretty sure. To win Best Director. She broke the glass ceiling. Um, and so, yeah, there you go. Catherine Bigelow, first, fe- first female to win an Academy Award for Best Director. Groove. So not only is it a, well, the film itself is a groundbreaking film, but the fact that Bigelow won was such a big, deal as well. That is a big deal, actually. That's a fucking heap. But it it would raise the question of, and this is from a horribly just ignorant mind. Yep. Some big female directors before that. Ooh. That's I know. a great question. You know what I mean? Like, and their movies. If you know some, send it through to us, man. Because I'd love Sophia to fucking Coppola's, hear um, Lost in Translation come out? Oh, shit. She so was what? that was an Oscar darling that, that year. That was an Oscar darling. Well, yeah, but that was more Bill Murray. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson were like yeah. the things. But I'm trying to think. I know obviously look, I don't know all about film and cinema. cinema I can't even say the fucking word. Um so I'm sure there's obviously female great female directors in there and I'm probably missing out on it in my mind. But um this is around the time before Catherine Bigelow. Would you like me to tell you a 
found an article just here on Variety while we're talking. Oh, cool. Which is Oscars shut out women in Best Director category again. Um, so it actually but goes... prior to Catherine Bigelow. This is, this is prior. So it's obviously this article has been written when people were a bit upset about uh, Greta Gerwig not being... Um, Recognised for Little Women, which Little Women was a gorgeous film. So just talking about a few um, female directors who had a chance to, were either nominated um, and didn't didn't get a go. So um, having a look here, they've talked about, oh man, where did it go? Here we go. So um, Lena Wertmuller in 1976 had a film called Seven Beauties and was nominated. It's only ever been five women who were nominated for Best Director. Oh, really? So, Lena Wertmuller. Wertmuller? Jane Campion was nominated for oh, The Piano. Oh, wow! Oh, I'm so sorry, Jane. Hey, because yep. that was huge down that here. That was huge. That's like New Zealand are still yep. fucking showing that in cinemas, man. <laughs> it's just, that's huge. Here we go. Sophia Coppola in 2003 for Lost in Translation yep. was nominated. Catherine Bigelow in 2009. And Greta Gerwig was nominated for Lady Bird in 2017. Okay, cool. So man. they're the five female directors that have ever been nominated for a best director and Bigelow being the only to win one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jane Campion should have won. I don't Jane know who Campion. she was up against that year. N- me. Fuck, man. So Harvey Keitel's doodle. I've not But seen. if you can make Harvey Keitel be a Maori, man, that's pretty hardcore. You're doing pretty good, aren't you? And Anna Paquin. Very. She her won first the Academy film. Award. Yeah, she did. Yeah. First and film, was it? True Blood, which True is Blood. getting a reboot. Is it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, there we go. I know. It always makes me wonder about how vampire shows do reboots and they're meant to be immortal. <laughs> this is going to be fucking old. They just get old. <laughs> oh, man. She won't be back she's, in it, though, is she? I don't know. I don't know. Well, she's... It's a, not she, a spin-off, so... No, if it's not a spin-off, because she's the main... They call... The books are called The Sookie Stackhouse. Yeah. They'd recast and they're going to... Really? Yeah. I reckon they'll recast and re re go all over again. Yeah, that'd be cool. I only got about halfway through it. I haven't seen the ending of it. Yeah. That's what made Ryan Quantum huge. Ryan Quantum. Where's he now? He's been doing a lot of Australian films lately, actually. Oh, but also he's doing a like Boston PD or something like that. Oh, is he? Yeah. I know the guy from Neighbours, well, Jesse, whatever his name is. I oh, know, that's who I'm confused Jesse's with. in um, no, Chicago P- Fire. Fire, Chicago Fire. That's where I'm getting mixed yeah. up with. Ryan, yeah, Ryan he was Quentin's, on House Ryan well. Quentin's in the latest uh, show where... They go into the future or something like that, and it's got the kid oh. who played, ah, oh, the kid who, the kid Love who played it. Nightcrawler. Oh, Cody Smith McPhee. Cody Smith McPhee. I think that was a movie, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a movie. Twenty, yeah. twenty, twenty, sixty-seven or, or something. something like that. Yeah, then he, then they both go into the future or back in time. My brain. Back in time. There you go. And, we Ryan, got and Ryan plays the nutty old professor. And 2067. 2067. Well done, Jeff. I know. I'm getting that number down, <laughs> man. Shit. My damn brain. I know. If only I could uh, uh, <laughs> put this across to something Save, worthwhile. Let's just stay with me, man. I forget my son's name, but you remember stupid shit like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, in a TV series called Sacred Lies, um, Ryan Quanton, we're talking here. Ryan Quanton, yeah. Because in the close. Hurricane Heist. He was, he was he was close to being big, man. He was. He's actually got great comedic chops as well. So it's sort of yeah, exactly. I feel like he was in a film called uh, Nights of Bad Astem. Yes, I remember you telling me. And that. Nights of Bad Astem has a real one of those horror stories of getting chopped in post and uh, suppose someone died. 
No, no. I think what had happened was the the production company Spencer had actually um, <laughs> had shafted like the production was underway and they didn't have the money that they'd promised or the oh. backing that they'd promised. Oh, okay. So they filmed the film, started doing post-production and got to this point where they're just like, we just need to get this out. Let's just release it. And they even released a cut. So supposedly the cut that got released, the director sort of got shut out and then it got re-edited without him to be, um, went more down. Actually, I think it might have some sort of links Oh, it's got a link to another film. But basically, another film was the hot sort of comedy at that time. Yeah. So they decided to re-edit the film to match this other film. Oh, cool. And it made it not the film they intended to do. Oh, okay. And so much so, they didn't even finish the visual effects. So the there's like a scene where they fight a demon at the end that's CG. Oh, okay. And that's actually the previs stuff that they're showing so the director joe lynch um talks about how like that film really really shafted him pretty big and quantum was in it and yeah well, we were talking about quantum the other day with red hill yeah oh he's amazing in red hill red hill patrick I love hughes movie. yep patrick hughes check it out people great film so in 2010 craig uh, a film called triple frontier was announced and Catherine Bigelow was to be directing on a script by Mark Boll. Now, Mark Boll is the person who wrote the script for The Hurt Locker yep. and goes on to be her writing partner for future films. Awesome. Does a lot of research. And around this time, I actually saw they talked about The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, um, and they want it to be as realistic as possible that they actually have, like, sources within the military. Makes who, sense. Who they won't name or talk about specific things because they know that it would actually see them get jail time for the stuff that they're informing them on. So Bigelow's like working really hard to get as much information as possible to make these films as truthful as possible. Yeah. Again, a meticulous nature of what I would envision a painter to bring to a film. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. wanting the details to be right. Um, so the cast of Triple Frontier was to be Tom Hanks, yeah. Johnny Depp and Will Smith. How could you afford those three? In 2010. Now, Tom Hanks actually pr officially signed on. They were still working on Depp and Will Smith. Yeah. And production was to commence in 2011 for filming. Now, the film's a story about a team of Navy SEALs who reunite the plan of heist of a South American drug lord. Yeah, and, and a then Netflix it all goes film. wrong. It actually became a Netflix film using Mark Bowles' script to base the story off for future iteration ah. and um and Bigelow left this project to do a project about Bo Bergdahl now we'll get there in a minute who Bo Bergdahl Bo is Bo um but in 2010 she drops out and it's not until like 2019 that the film's actually released yeah, I think so, yeah. with Charlie Hunnam it's got uh Ben Affleck in yeah it. it's got fucking um oh, uh, Duke of Trades yeah there's um who's the narcos guy I think it's got yeah, him. Yeah, Pedro Pascal? No. No, oh, the other the guy. The blonde dude. Yeah, the guy from Predators. Yeah. Um, but it's also got... Um, oh. It's got fucking... Yeah, that's what Pedro Pascal. Garrett Hedlund? I mean, not Garrett Hedlund. No, um... Uh, um, Duke of Trades, uh, Star Wars. <laughs> you keep saying it at me. It's not going to change me. From Dune, man. From Dune. <laughs> he's an amazing actor. All right. I'm getting he's it right now. He's an amazing actor. He's from Star Wars. He plays... He's oh, the, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Sorry. Isaac. 
Chicken Tradies! Sorry, I watched the Dune trailer today. And that dude from Predators is not... It's Garrett Hedlund. So the, the cast is Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hedlund. What a cast. Pedro Pascal. I watched the film. It wasn't bad. That's right. It's Pedro Pascal. Yeah, yeah Pedro Pascal's in it as well. This it's the way. It's pretty, it's pretty darn good, actually. I would have loved seeing Bigelow do it. It probably would have been a bit... I remember you telling me. A bit more hardcore, yeah. That was so, um, but it's a, it's a good, good actors, film. Man. Great like actors, and they they actors. do bring their game. Who it's directed a, it? Uh, J C Chandler is his name. Um, he's done some other. It would have been good if Affleck did it. If he directed it, yeah. Oh yeah. He hasn't really jumped into a directing role in a while. I think uh, post Batman, he well he didn't get a good rap for um, what was the one where no, he no, played a gangster. Yeah. Live by Night. Oh, Live by Night. I haven't seen Live by Night yet. So, um, so J.C. Chandor's films are as follows. Sorry, I'm just going to get through. J.C. Chandor. <laughs> he did Margin films. Call. That was his first film. Oh, wow. That was Affleck as well. Um, All is Lost, which is the Robert Redford one where he sails around the world All and gets lost at sea. Our Most Violent Year. Um, which I think is Oscar Isaac, isn't it? Yeah, most violent. Oh, wow, he's just brought his old mates (laughs) on. And he, yeah, so that's, and then he went on to do Triple Frontier. So he's relatively fresh. It spins me out. This is one thing this podcast has done for me is how many fucking, like, directors there are out there. It's crazy, isn't it? Hey, yeah, you only really go, oh, yeah, there's like 50. But there's hundreds. Yeah, there is. And they make all these movies that, and there's some of that have made like five or six of the movies that you've loved throughout your life. Yep. And you go, wow, man, fucking hell. (laughs) This guy has a career. You know what I mean? How do like studios like, yeah, yeah, this guy looks like, oh, wow, that's good, good story. Good good one for JC. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's Chando up to? Yeah, what's Chando up to? Get him in. Get him in. Get Chando in. Get him in. Get him in. Fuck off, (laughs) JC. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's the Craig Studio. <laughs> 20, 2012 saw the release of Zero Dark Thirty. Fantastic. Which, film. once again, uh, Bigelow is given a lot of critical acclaim for that film. Fucking love that. Great film. cast. Jessica Chastain is, is incredible. Fantastic. Uh, is it Jason Alexander, the Australian guy? I can't remember what he's. Yeah, Jason Isaac. I'm not Jason. No, yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about that. Yeah, he's he, he is, is underestimated, man. isn't he? He is such a brilliant. I'm going actor. there right now. A brilliant actor. He's he, um, Terminator Genesis. What a Oscar-winning performance! <laughs> but um, no, he's been in just just not Jason Isaacs, is it? Uh, no. Joel Edgerton's in there. Remember? Yeah, Chris yeah. Pratt's in there too. Yeah, Chris Pratt. Yeah, Chris. That was his Mark first Strong. role. Jason Clark. Jason Clark. That was his Clark. first role where he got fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, he needed to. Um, they w- he wanted to try change the way he looked at things. Moneyball as well. Don't forget him in Moneyball. Oh, yeah. Jessica Chastain. She Mark she Strong. she has a movie on. Um, Ava. Are you talking Ava? Ava? Yeah, Ava. I've not heard great things, Craig. It's not. I watched it. Oh, did you? I watched. Oh, I flicked through it. It's <laughs> the same. It's the same thing. It's crazy shit. That was originally meant to be Matthew Newton's first directed role. Because he wrote it. Yes, because he wrote it. Yes. So for those who don't know, there's a huge TV icon down in Australia called Bert Newton. Old Moonface. Yeah. He's, he's, if, if you ever looked up um, YouTube, he's one of the guys who um, 
accidentally insulted Muhammad Ali by yep. calling him boy. Yes. <laughs> Which and he backtracks on that pretty darn quick, doesn't he? As you would. But Bert Newton, he, he was an awesome dude. His son, Matthew Newton, was coming up through the ranks and he was a good actor. Yep. He, was a, he was a talented yep. dude. But the problem, the guy had a substance abuse problems yeah. and he actually um, abused whole, like two women at least. Okay, so yep. he has a very bad temper issues. He... That was years ago now, but you know, he's seven, I think he was seven, eight years sober. And he wrote this, and Jessica Chastain jumped on board. And then a lot of people complained because Jessica Chastain is a very woman's right advocate. Oh, and so, um, she basically really, a lot of people were like, Well, you're being a hypocrite, you're with Matthew Newton, blah blah blah. So, Matthew Newton dropped out from directing. Wow, and they just kept his script on there. Wow. Because I saw it, because I saw his name on it when I was look watching it. I go, it can't be that Matthew. Well, I I was on a group <laughs> chat where they were all not speaking kindly about the film, and I thought, oh, I'll have a look into it to see yeah. a bit more info. Who directed it? You know that sort of thing. Because to me, it just looks like a Luke Besson film. Oh, it is. It is. It's basically a Luke. Besson. It's even set in the same areas, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think Luke Besson actually released a movie just like that earlier. Oh, had he? It was, yeah, some. Something like that. It was just like called Anna or something. Oh, like that. okay, yeah. Actually, I've seen that on uh, Amazon Prime. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was really shocked when I saw Matthew Newton because I was like, surely not. It, it it goes in a different area where it tries to reconcile, like, if a killer, like John Malkovich is in it. Her and John yeah. Malkovich are really good in can, it. Like, can I say, Craig? That doesn't. Give weight no, to films because he was in Aragon. There's some really good. <laughs> there's actually some really good writing in it. It just doesn't hold up across the board. It yeah, tries okay. to show a more personal edge to an assassin's life. Yeah, and it doesn't really. Oh, yeah. and then yeah, joke. then yeah, and it goes fucking weird. I'll have to check. And it Common's out. in it. No, don't. Common. Yeah, I do like Common. Yeah, it's you won't like charm. him in this. He's just random, man. Oh, see, but he's don't, not. Yeah, don't. We're talking more Suicide Squad Common versus uh, Smoke and Aces Common. Oh no, he, he plays. He's totally against type. He plays like the ex-boyfriend. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's nothing actiony about him. Like he's the ex-boyfriend before she became an assassin. Oh, Kathy Lee's he's got a DVD with sister. him in it, and it's with Queen Latifah. Ooh, and he plays like things like a. Charming basketball player that falls in love with Queen Latifah. As you would. It's Queen oh, Latifah. I know. Oh, she's charming. She is charming. She's just charming. She's wild out there. <laughs> now, 2014, um, as mentioned before, Catherine Bigelow was working on a film based around the life of Bo Bergdahl. Now, I'm hanging to who Bo Bergdahl is. Bo Bergdahl was a US soldier who was held captive from 2009 to 2014 by the Taliban after he deserted U.S. troops. So he was a deserter who basically left his post and while he was trying to get out of um, where he was serving, got taken um, hostage and held for five years by the Taliban. So once she heard about this story, she started developing Oh, yeah, that sounds a perfect story. And so she actually leaves the project... Um, that was announced sort of around that 2014 mark, but she left that project to go work on Detroit. What you can't leave me hanging. What happened to Bo Bergdahl? Well, he got he got back. He so, got back. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, <Okay>, Detroit. <laughs> um, well, actually, it was funny when um, 
I did a bit of research because I thought I wonder I wonder if this becomes the basis of um, he joins in Homeland MMA and becomes Warrior. Homeland, I thought more off more than that. So he was captured after deserting his post. Um, the The circumstances around how, like, why he went missing and how he was captured, have become like subjects of scrutiny. Ah, okay. So he was released in 2014 as part of a prisoner exchange for five high-ranking Taliban members. Ah. Oh. That were being held at Guantanamo Bay. Wow. So, um, yeah, he was then court-martialed upon return. As he should. And pleaded guilty in 2017. So what happened to him for the three years following his release? I could only assume that he was probably held in Guantanamo Bay. Um, so he was in dishonorably discharged. With Jessica Chastain and... Jason Clark, yeah, waterboarding, waterboarding. Um, so he was actually uh, reduced in rank for ten months, and so that fined a thousand dollars from his pay each month, um, and then he was discharged. So he's um, yeah. So that was that was his story, which you could see would make quite a that could be a Catherine Bigelow movie. Yeah, yeah, for man. Sure. I wonder if, did they have any casting? Oh, we'll find that out later. I I have a feeling that the the story actually shifted and plays a part, which when we get to our Zero Dark Thirty um, episode, I have a feeling she was developing his story as it was an ongoing ah, sort of okay. thing. And then it just turned And out. then it shifted. He's not a hero. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, but we'll see. He was, oh, I just pressed something funny, but um, on my computer. But um, <laughs> just all this porn's coming up on like, the screen. Uh, no, uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I have a story, which um, we've what, had when some... Pete locked my computer. <laughs> no, but please do tell. <laughs> I told you about that. <laughs> no. Pete, Pete, um, so we had this prankster at our um, at our work that Jeff and I first met. First met at. It was and he said, Pete Makem, I'm going to put him on on chat. <laughs> and he was a smart ass, great guy. I loved it. Yeah, me um, too. I love and you. Love you, Pete. He sent me this. Um, he sent me uh, an, an attachment, which I stupidly opened, and it locked my computer. Well, it doesn't lock your computer. It actually opens up the full screen on your computer, so it feels like you think you've, your computer's locked because you can't turn it out. And it starts showing. It started showing me naked men, like just flicking <laughs> up all these naked men on my screen. And, and, and it starts yelling out, I'm watching gay porn, I'm watching gay porn. And it went through the whole <laughs> office, the whole office. And I'm trying to fucking turn this off. I would, I, 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 I'm trying to close it because it deliberately shuts it so you can't close it. Yeah. And so I just pull my... Pull my um, pulled your cord out. Pulled the cord out. Um, no, I just pulled my dick out. I was like, <laughs> fuck it, I might as well run with it. Yeah, I might as well own this, boys. Oh, no, give me five minutes. No, yeah, I pulled the cord out. <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> just fucking <laughs> and, oh, I, and, and ever since then I always just fucking left the volume off oh that's so I always funny. keep my volume off off always so good. I always think of Pete Maker thank you for that Craig there was a funny thing at the same company that we worked at there was a time there was a time where um, I was in charge of the telephone systems it was a call centre 
And I thought it'd be really cool. You had this option where you could put your own tones in. So whenever like calls got out of hand, it would mm. make a sound that would remind people that calls are waiting and they need to get back on the phone. So as a little joke, I thought I'd test it out by uploading some Simpsons sounds. <laughs> and I actually had uploaded a, a sound that went, oh, crap. <laughs> it was like a Homer Simpson noise. <laughs> but I couldn't get it to work. And so I was really disappointed because I thought it'd be a real funny sort of prank yeah. that you'd play and it'd do it. So then I got um, moved to another department and one day <laughs> I was just working along and someone else was in charge of the phone system. Actually, the general manager had decided to take charge of the, the phone system. Desktop? So, yeah, desktop. Um, so while I'm off making a cup of tea one day, I hear this, and it was a very busy day that day. I hear, oh, crap. Oh, crap, 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 crap. Oh, crap, crap, crap. <laughs> going all over the call center. And all these people freaking out and hanging up their phone calls because this Homer Simpson noise. And he thought, oh, I wonder what this noise is. And then oh. pressed it and applied it. And it just, he did it the right way and it went through the whole system. So supposedly uh, people all over the country could hear Homer Simpson shouting, oh, crap, oh, <laughs> on repeat. Crap. Every, so, anyways, good times. Oh, fuck, man. We ran that company rampant. Oh, we did. <laughs> At uh, 2014, Craig, uh, Bigelow was also linked to another um, true story, which was to star Tom Hardy. Oh, really? Called See, worry, I told you I was worried. <laughs> yeah. Gavin O'Connor, love his work. Based on the book True American Murder and, Mis- and Mercy in Texas. Um, when you hear what this is about, you go, there's Catherine Bigelow again. Yeah. Um, so film was set to star Tom Hardy, and it was about a Muslim immigrant who narrowly survived the shooting of two other immigrants in a, in a killing spree in a Texas convenience store following the September 11 attacks. Oh, wow. So it's a true story about the fact that um, after the September 11 attacks, some Texans just decided to take justice in their own hands and started hunting down people who they considered no, were were uh, Middle Eastern or Muslim. And Americans so, aren't reactionists. Come on. I know, I know. <laughs> so I don't know what role Tom Hardy was, is to play in this film. It's still in development at the moment. The last that was talked about it was in 2017. So obviously... The cop or the... Say you the you wouldn't think Tom Hardy would align himself to be a role that he kills Muslim people in. Oh, Tom Hardy. He should be. He's like... He yeah. needs to... I think he needs to do a hardcore villainous role. <sighs> oh, well, you can say, you know, he's done Capone, you know, he's done... Brune. Yeah. You know, he's, he's done, done... He's, he's done, done roles. He's done the hick before. Um, with what about Handsome Johnny George? Coach, huh? Handsome George in Rock and Roller. I haven't seen Rock and Roll. Oh, Craig. No, no, I haven't seen it. We need a Guy Ritchie season just so we can make you watch Rock and Roll. Oh, no, there's no drama with it, man. I just haven't got around on it. Oh, I love that movie. So that film's still in development. In 2017, Detroit is released. What's his name? John Boyega's in it. John Boyega. I think Anthony Mackie, if I remember rightly, is in there as well. check. Yeah. So uh, really I'm watching watching a movie with him now. Who? John Boyega? No, uh... Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie. What, you, what do you watch? That um, Beyond the Wire. Oh, okay. The Netflix film. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it good? Oh, it's like an action film. Yeah, he plays like a cyborg. Yeah, character. yeah. I saw yeah. the trailer for oh, it. Yeah. Didn't look bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I probably won't go back to it. I'm like ten, fifteen in. Hasn't really caught me yet. He hasn't done anything cyborgy yet. Oh. Apart from just you know that, I want to be like Will Smith attitude. 
Yeah. Yeah. Does he but do he it? He just doesn't oh, match the. Hell no. Yeah, that's sort of that thing. But he just, yeah. he just like, I know he's. I think he's probably has more potential to be more talented than Will Smith. Yeah. Like in acting chops. Yeah. I just that's the it. charisma doesn't match I the know. attitude. Will Smith, you know what I mean? So Will Smith could fucking scream it in your face, and you're like, "Oh, it's Will Smith, man!" I oh, know. Oh man! Even when he was Fresh Prince, I'd be like, "Yeah." Fresh Prince. I don't enjoy how Will Smith but has doesn't has doesn't he doesn't have the charisma. No, that's for sure. He has charisma. Yeah, but he yeah, doesn't have just not Will Smith. The charisma. Yeah, you just can't feel. He's Will not Smith's a genius. It's like lamp. that's what they're doing. They're like, we need a young, we need a new Will Smith. Yeah, and this is and he's taken on the roles Will Smith would have. Yeah, yeah, Boyega, young Denzel. Oh yeah, man. Well, what about young Denzel? Oh man, <laughs> I gotta say, I rate him. Oh yeah, man! You see, he's got a new movie coming out. The one with Zendaya. Yeah, doesn't that causing look a bit of a stir? I'm worried. I can't watch movies like that. Yeah, they fucking hurt my head. Yeah, you know those dramatic, like you know, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf type films where it's just, just a relationship front and center on a screen, just yeah. fucking warts and all. But those relationships where they, yeah, you can. People go, oh, it reminds me of my relationship. And you go, oh, really? That's pretty fucked up. But like, you see <laughs> some little bits, but. It's just those relationships go, man, that's fucking toxic. Yeah. That's just to- and it looks yeah. like that. Yeah, I've not seen Euphoria that Zendaya's in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard people say it's amazing. Yeah, I've heard people say And I've heard horrible. that she, like, it's that role that should take her from being a girl to a woman. I think in, she's an, in things. I think she's got a damn good future. She's got a career ahead. Well, she's praying that Dune does well. Oh, Please go out and see Dune, guys. I need the sequel. On the big screen. Yeah, on the big screen. screen. Fucking make it. As long as you're safe. Make it a hit. We don't want you to be unsafe to see it. Oh, look, as long as, you know, I'm safe to see the sequel. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Ruthless. Ruthless. I'm only ruthless when it comes to movies, man. (laughs) Going back to Detroit, I've not seen Detroit. Neither have I. Um, I'm really keen to see it. I'm really keen on. What's he? Is it Will Poulter? That's Will Poulter in it. I'm pretty sure. You guys are getting paid? The, the um, he's the meme. The where the Millers is yeah, in where the Millers. That boy is almost turning into an Orlock. He's well, supposedly he's incredible. I didn't know he was English. I didn't know that either. <laughs> like big, yeah, big English accent. Oh really? Yeah. I'm, oh wow, I did not know that either, man. Um oh now. But well Paul, yeah, I, he's man, I I would have loved to seen his version of Pennywise. Was he going to be Pennywise? He was Pennywise, man. And wow. then he dropped out when... Who was originally? Well, one of the, the original director for it, and he dropped out. Oh. Um, yeah. Went on... He's now directed the new James Bond movie. Yeah, for Gunnarga. Yeah. He's, he is... Seriously, I yeah. would have loved to have seen Because he's done True Detective? Yeah, True Detective. Yeah, yeah. and so... Yeah, and he's fucking... Um, and he basically, he was directing it with Will Poulter as... Because wow. if you look at his face, man, he'd make him... Like, don't get me wrong, Skarsgård did freaking amazing. He's got, he's got very defined characteristics, Poulter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's an English actor. He got his big break in the film Son of Rambo. Have you heard about that film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the little they boys remake that it, yeah. remake it. Um, he was also in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, really? Before three years later being in Where the Millers. And he is so funny in that movie. That, that Where the Millers is actually quite underrated. It is as it's a comedy. It's quite a funny movie. I think it's it's my favourite Jennifer Aniston movie. She It's that moment where she's 
she's stopped being Jennifer Aniston yeah, in things. where she doesn't really care about her reputation and just yep. wanted to be a comedic actress. Yep. And Same I really with, love Have you seen Horrible Bosses? Yes. See, she's so she's good, good in that. In yeah, that. when she just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I, I love, love it. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Same. We've been hanging out too Jinx. much. <laughs> Buy me a Coke. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty much the timeline of Catherine Bigelow's work. At the moment, she keeps her projects pretty under wraps. So it's not like there's a huge announcement. I'll have to call her. Of, yeah, give her a call, Craig. Well, Tom might know. Find out. She did do a short film in 2018. It was called I'm Not a Weapon. Ooh. Um, that's good because most, most films are about being a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome just to have a guy going, yeah, I'm not really good at this stuff. <laughs> um, it's it's actually interesting. I think it was based around the, um, the oh, I'm going to say, is it Boko Haram? The, um, Holy shit, really? Yeah, it's it's around that. Um, so she'd made a, there was a time when she made that and she also made a documentary at the same time uh, about the poaching of elephants. Oh, really? So, the Boko Haram, that's the one about let the girls go, isn't it? Yeah. And that was that big um, Angelina Jolie and everyone yep. put up the hashtag and it really did do shit. And so, yeah, Catherine Bigelow made a short film about that. Yeah. Um, there's no announcement of what her next project is. I would wager that she is working on something at the moment. And it looks as though in more recent years, she sort of works around a four to five year sort of turnaround for a film. I think. She's now very comfortable in yes. her career. Yeah, totally. Which is good, which it means gives her time and she doesn't have to freaking play. Because she is, she is obviously controversially, probably the leading female director in the world. I would say so. Like there were, there were rumors. She constantly has her name pop up as people want her to be a part of um, the Wonder Woman series. Yeah. Like when they say we need a female director to take on these female superheroes. The Bigelow's second one name, needed that. Oh, it did. It needed someone the to ground it. Ne- yeah, and it needed someone to just gritty the shit out yep. of it. I agree. And so, but it's really interesting. But Patty Jenkins, man, can't fucking wait, man. Rogue Squadron is going to be... Should be lots of fun. Shit balls out of the sky. I, love I it. hope so. I hope so. Um, so Bigelow actually views all her films as independent films. Awesome. And... I think that's I fair. would too. I would too. Yeah, she actually except s- for Point Break. Well, she actually says that um, all her films have actually been funded independently. Oh, really? So they haven't been big studio films. But like, Point Break is two huge actors. Yeah, very huge. huge at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't see how that. Uh, no, nah, that doesn't no, classify as I, an independent to me. I reckon. I'll wait until we get there. But I remember Patrick Swayze, his role in Point Break from memory when it came out was like a, what? Patrick Swayze? Like yeah. it was like a shock at that point because he was the romance guy. True. We're talking Ghost? Dirty Dancing? Yeah, but what about Roadhouse? Roadhouse was I thought not, he'd be bigger. He, <laughs> Roadhouse is just <laughs> like... Don't, don't say... Don't, I'm don't, not don't saying you anything bad. I'm not going to badmouth it, but I'm just saying <laughs> for, the, for the general punters, <laughs> yeah. at this stage, at Point Break stage, he's the ghost and dirty dancing guy. Yeah, true. Good point. You know, like he's a housewife. Housewives love him, yeah, not true. dudes. And I think at the same time, I would love to know if... I don't know straight off the bat, but... I would love to know. I'm assuming Point Break is pre-speed. 
I don't know. Because if Point Break's at Could be. 2000, uh, one at 1991. post Bill and Ted. Yeah, so three years later is Speed. We've got to remember, Keanu Reeves has this really intriguing career where it's like he does, does something that is just like this absolute explosion of a film. Yeah. That makes his career burst. And then it seems like he, he pulls himself out of the limelight. I'm saying it's a conscious choice by him, not yeah. a career. He's a front runner. And then suddenly something else happens. So I remember Point Break was like, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves. And then he just petered off a little bit. Then it's like speed and everyone's like, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves. Then we got The Matrix and it's yeah. like Keanu Reeves. Uh, the then John, John Wick. Wick. And it's like Keanu Reeves, you no. know. And then, but I think it's like, I've got it. I'm just pulling it back a bit. I think you'll find the greatest, talking about Keanu, greatest Keanu Reeves movies is when he accepts that he's Keanu Reeves. It, totally. He's Harrison. He's basically Harrison Ford. But when they try to be anything different, yeah, it feels awkward. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you've grown, you've grown with him. Yeah, you know, basically, like you know, Neo could be if he lost his powers and got married, he could be John Wick. <laughs> yeah. Totally, he could be the same. Totally, you know? um, he could be a Ronan. So, <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> 47 Ronan is like it's guilty pleasure. It is such it for me. It's such a guilty pleasure. I just love it so much. He's he's he was born in Jordan. I know Palace. He was born in one of those areas, Syria or something like that. It's yeah, he's got a he's got an interesting From Canada story. But prior to that he was young blood. Young blood. Dean Young. Parenthood. Oh fuck Jeff Reed, yeah, I totally forgot. Parenthood. So just Jeez, I wish someone did a podcast. I know. Wish some people would I talk know. about parenthood. Maybe we should look back. Um <laughs> forgive the audio on that one. Um <laughs> But um Bigelow actually says the idea of studio films don't interest her at all. Oh really? Yeah, and so it's probably I think that's a really good indicator That's why she needs one. Why we haven't seen Bigelow do a studio blockbuster in this time. Yeah, true. Because you would think at this point, <coughs> excuse me, I think a lot of people would have thrown money at Bigelow to make a Wonder Woman yeah. or a superhero film I of some sort. I think she's sticking strong to her art background, eh? Very much so. And oh, we'll see as we go along. Yeah, we'll see as we go along. But I love that about her. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see whether she has or it's just pretentious as shit. Yeah, and she actually talks about the fact that she views like the idea of pumping out films would sacrifice content to make sure things are rushed. And again, I think that's a real contrast to Ron Howard. Yeah. So Craig, that's it all wrapped up. Whew, that's the that journey of Catherine Bigelow. We had a great chat about that. That's a bad chat. We got some wild tangents going <laughs> on there. Wild tangents. <laughs> so Craig, every season before we start, we talk about a couple things that we just want to get in there, which is the first one is, um, what do you expect from the season? Oh man, I expect um, a very, very classy filmmaker. Yeah, like a very classy filmmaker. Um, now after our chats, I want to see the art perspective of it. Yeah. Um, so I want to see how much of um an artist's a painter's eyes in particular. Yeah. That she brings to her movies. Yeah, I love it. Um, if anything, it's 
it's making me, you know, more excited to see a bit of Near Dark, you know, because that's a very, yeah, that's a dark brush stroke. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, I get it. Yeah, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I cannot wait to watch Point Break in a different me light. Me too. In a different light, man. I've watched that movie so many times. So many times. I just can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. I haven't I been this excited since fucking Willow. Oh, oh man, I, love I just it. can't wait. You were excited about that film. Oh, man, it. this is one of those films, man. Like Back to the Future. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just that fucking, these films. Yeah, I love it, Craig. Oh. I can't wait either. I'm, I'm really, I guess my expectations are I've always thought of Bigelow as a political director. Yeah. So basically, I felt like her films. But again, talking from a space of not realizing until I went back and looked that Bigelow was the director of Point Break. Yeah. So my knowledge is Hurt Locker, yeah, Zero so. Dark Thirty. Not seen it, but I know the story of Detroit. And therefore, you would go, oh, she's a very political director. She wants to pick hot topics that are, are really at the forefront of things. Probably stories that are a lot of truth and honesty in them as well. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm expecting... Probably a bit more of that in her earlier films than I thought. Yeah. Um, I'm really intrigued because there is so much unknown quantity in this season as well. I would say out of her first, you know, out of her first seven, all pre-Hurt Locker, I've only seen Point Break. So out of seven and films, I would have only seen one of those. And films. it's not really a muse. No. Across it's the films, not, isn't it? No, it's not like she's got. Well, quite There's often no we Russell see directors. Crow. That's right. Or a, um, you know, to an extent, we get. Well, Zemeckis James had Hanks. Yeah, James Franco is in the Raimi seasons. You yeah, know. exactly. You know, <coughs> we're not getting anyone like that. Mm. And so, who are Snyder's? Ooh, his yeah, wife. Yeah, his wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't really work with. With common people, I think he's just he's his roles in particular spread out. You know, like yeah. these different types of movies, and now are in different types of. I don't think he had much to do with casting on a lot of. Them. No, I don't think so either. Except I think for three hundred, he jumped into the machine pretty early. Yeah, um, and I think he had to just ride that wave. Yeah, so true. it's a bit sad, but yeah, I think you're right. There's not really a muse that I can think of here. Um, I think what what I'd probably expect there is that. I think looking at the, the, the films, Bigelow always has uh, an actor of that generation. Yeah, it does look like film. that, doesn't it? Um, so I probably like my expectation of that, even thinking like, yeah, well, you got Willem Dafoe in yep. The Loveless. Adrian Pazda, I guess. Bill, Bill Paxton, Paxton is in there. Then you get Keanu. into Jamie Lee Curtis is is rock and blue still. You yeah, know, but she was a big name at that time. She was because I think the nineties was when True Lies came out as Trading well. Trading places, but was just before that as well. And she was always just you know Tony Curtis's daughter. Yeah, and um, and so then you start looking through things like you know Strange Days. Angela Bassett's in there. Um, yep, Rape Finds. I can't. But he, it was prior, it's almost like she's discovering. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think right. they're prior to getting big. And again. It's interesting. Fuck, this is heaps interesting. Right? Yeah, she's working with major talent in Before every one of her talent. films. Yeah. Um, again, The Way to Water. Sean Penn's probably on a bit of a lull of his career at this point. Yeah, oh, then, Sean Penn's always a Sean Penn. Then, you know, you've got 
Penelope Cruz. For some reason, I'm picturing Tommy Lee Jones in there. I could be wrong. Um, Elizabeth Hurley. I don't know what we're going to get from her. You never um, know with Liz Hurley. The, the, the cover, I'm pretty sure she's in a white bikini, so she's there for a purpose. Yeah. Um, K-19, she's got Harrison Ford in there. Yeah. Oh, just you before know, he got big. Hurt Locker. Well, Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, all pretty early on in their careers yeah. and real catalyst films for those guys. Exactly. Guy Pierce is in there. Gay love guy. guy. Again, know. Zero Dark Thirty. She's, Jessica Chastain really got into the stratosphere in this yep. film. Um, so I think, and then we've already talked about John Boyega. Again, or Anthony Mackie popping up in Detroit. Oh, there you go. Well, a double up. There, there's a double. Oh, there's but, plenty of doubles. Um, you know, they're, they're huge casts across the board. Oh, man. She's working with talent. She's she sure is, isn't she? Huge talent. Huge so, talent. I, I can't wait. Um, so, Craig, every season we get to a point in the episode, probably in our intro episodes, where we sort of talk about what films are going to be probably our least highest ranked film. Yeah. I don't like to say the worst film. Yeah. That's not necessarily fair. What is our highest ranked film? Yep. And I'm just going to throw one in there as well. What one do you hope is probably going to be a bit of a surprise packet? Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't, I don't honestly have to say the loveless. That's only because as your lowest, as my lowest, because yep. usually your first films are usually getting around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then after that, I'd probably be say the one I'd probably the top one. Ooh, see, I'd have to watch Hurt Locker again. Yeah. Um, I love Zero Dark Thirty. Me too. I love Zero Dark. And the Dark Horse to me would be Detroit. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I just haven't seen it. And yep. the actors who are in it would be Incredible. fantastic. Yeah. Um, oh, I've been having a little think about this. I th- I agree with you in The Loveless. The first films, they just tend to be something that's like just not quite there yet. You know, they're yeah, exactly. so raw. Um, it's very rare. I think Sam Raimi and um, Zack Snyder were the only ones that we really had these moments where, like, those first films were incredible. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and so... Snyder's so, mostly. Yeah. Because his was the most accomplished one, but he jumped straight into He'd done studio. a lot of commercials. None, and, of, he, none of his films are independent. No. He's jumped Whereas straight into studio. Sam Raimi's Evil Dead is just He's like just this fucking, genius piece of work yeah. by a young guy just... Having a blast. Camera on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the Loveless I'd probably expect to be there. The best film. Um I'd probably I'm I'm gonna side with you, Craig. I think uh the Hurt Locker is probably gonna be my favourite. Yeah. Um from memory, Zero Dark Thirty was a little long. Just a little bit long. I think it's almost a three hour film mm. from memory. So I remember when I saw it, I just felt like if they chopped just 15 minutes or so out of it, it probably would have just been a bit punchier. But it's, I think what I'm looking forward to in that is finding out how masterful that decision is because I think it will be intentional. Zero Dark Thirty, I've watched it about three, four times. Oh, wow. I've so I think I've probably watched it once. Yeah, Hurt Locker I've watched once. Yeah, see, I, Hurt Locker's the other way for me. I've watched it yeah, a couple see, of times. Yeah, see, that's where I'm like... I might come out of Hurt Locker and go, fuck, that was just fantastic. That was amazing. You know yeah. Because I, mean? I remember it was amazing when I first watched it. Yeah, yeah. Zero Dark Thirty, I'm like, oh. I'm I'm also really hopeful for, I know of the cult status of Near Dark. 
So I'm yeah. hopeful for near dark. Um, I'm also after hearing what you said. I'm really hopeful for strange days. Oh man, I think Seems that could be memory. quite a dark yeah, that horse. That could be a dark horse. And our friend Constantine, he's uh, he's sent a few things saying that he was at a premiere for it. Oh really? Yeah. So he oh, was that's at right, Strange Days premiere. Around there, yeah. Um. So yeah, he he said he he was at a few things for that. So um, that made me go, oh wow, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what it's all about. So Detroit very well could be quite a dark horse. And and a big shout out to Constantine actually. Well He's been done. Winning heaps of awards yes. lately for his um, clean. He, yeah, clean is the horror film. Yeah, um, and he was the the screenwriter for yes, that. Yes, he was. And he's been win- winning a lot of accolades over yep. that film. So well done, Constantine. Well done, Constantine. Get out there, check it. Check it out. Buy a copy of it. There's a really cool deluxe Blu-ray set that's been doing the rounds. He's been putting online. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's really. Yeah. Imagine I. It, to me, I can't fathom thinking that um, I might write something that would end up being made, let alone being able to yeah, exactly. own a Blu-ray copy of something I wrote. It's like so <laughs> awesome. good. So we got done, Constantine. We love it. We love it. So check out Clean. Check, check out, out Clean, clean everybody. Um, awesome, Craig. Well, guess what? What? We've reached that point of the episode where we let people know how they oh, can yeah. get in touch with us. Come on, guys. Get on Instagram. Get on Twitter at FFTR Podcast. Um, go on to Facebook. Um, you, we've got a page. We um, do. Where you can comment. You can yep. like stuff. Throw yep. weird emojis, whatever the fuck they are. Um, it's from first to last podcast. Um, if you're more old school, you want to email us, yeah, go for it. Info at FFTRpodcast.com. Yep. Or if you really just want to stalk us and stuff like that, please go onto our website, www.fftlpodcast.com. I'm That's Craig. Right. With, so did you, you hear Twitter and Insta? I've got a photo on there, on there. Twitter, Insta. Yeah, I did say Twitter and Insta. FFTL podcast? Yeah, I did. Sorry, man. I might have just signed out for a minute. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> Apologies. If not, if not, I'm sorry, Jeff. No, that's okay. If you, okay. If, if I did say it, fuck you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit zoned out too. I zone so out when I say that. I sometimes really hit just, yeah. I hit auto. <laughs> <laughs> like we say all the time, please subscribe to us. Subscribe. Give us a review. Chuck us some five us stars. Love. I saw a review the, the other day. I know. Mm-hmm. A lovely review came That's through. That's a beautiful review, man. So thank, thank you, you so much for the people thank who wrote that. Much, that was fantastic. Um, and just share us with someone. Really I think... fucking humbling. I love it. I know. It is, isn't it? It's a, and when you hear people's like genuine words about you, you go, oh, wow, that's really... It really oh, is. It's quite humbling. I'll tell you what. Um, for every good review, I'll take off a piece of clothing. Jeff, <laughs> 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 he's like... <laughs> oh, gosh. That's all right. Guys, please don't let me talk the loveless with the nude Craig. Oh, come on. It'll be awesome. <laughs> It'll be awesome. He will see that I am loveless. I'm just purely androgynous. I'm just a... <laughs> I'm like a Barbie doll. You're a Metatron. I'm a Metatron. <laughs> yeah. I'm just Alan a, Rickman. I'm an embodied. AI. <laughs> I'm an AI sent, sent here to oh, do gosh. all your podcast dreams. But please, we do say it every week, but just share us with somebody. Yeah, share you us. You know, if you're enjoying this, let people know about exactly. it. Exactly. Share us off with your buddies. Um, so, Craig, next week, what are we talking? Oh, shit. <laughs> Loveless. <laughs> we're talking Ron Howard? No, we're no, talking, we're talking the, the Loveless. Willem Dafoe, Willem man. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Bikers. Bikers. Um, leather. Yep. Sexy leather. Sexy leather. Yep. No pleather. Uh, rockabilly. Rockabilly-esque. Rockabilly-esque. 
So we Rose? we're gonna. Rose? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do look. The only fun fact that I do know about the film is it's Willem Dafoe's first first major role. So ah. really looking forward to seeing that. Co-directed. Catherine Bigelow's co-directed this one. So we'll talk about that next week. I yeah. can't wait. Can't wait too. So you can find us where all good podcasts are found. So from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll catch you next week. See you guys. <laughs>